This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here, your coach, your guide on the side. Good morning to you. Middle of the week. Woohoo! You're halfway there. Welcome to the program, folks. Man, we got a great show for you today. You know, this is the show where we try to bring you uh, the backstory. A lot of times, we, you, you know, you hear the two-minute news story, but you don't know exactly what's going on. Today, we got uh, a lot of great stuff uh, to bring to you. First of all, our first guest uh, in just a few minutes will be bringing on a professor at the University of Utah, Amos Giroa, will be joining us, and um, he is an expert in Israeli uh, intelligence, also um, is a really strong advocate of a drone court. We've talked about drones on the show before and the need for, you know, instead of just indiscriminate shelling and bombing from drones, Dr. Giroa believes that you need to at some point have a court to to make these decisions for where we're going to uh, be blowing people up, who, you know, what are the conditions that have to be met before we start dropping bombs from some unmanned drone. And uh, we'll be talking to him about that, but especially I wanted to talk to him about his view of the Iran nuclear deal. That's uh, just, you know, right now, Kerry's, Secretary Kerry is on the Hill battling, trying to get people to buy into this new agreement, this accord we've made with Iran. And uh, I want to hear what uh, Amos Giroa's view of of the Iran deal is. What would Israel's view be? And somebody that's uh, just deeply in the know and been on the show before, we appreciate his insight into such stuff. We'll be talking to him. But also, I don't know if you've been <clears throat> listening in the news. Holy cow. Lions galore. Uh, sad uh, death of uh, Cecil the lion, or Cecil, depending how you pronounce it. The lion, uh, which really is just, it's tragic. Zimbabwe's favorite lion. Uh, and also, oh boy. There it is. Sad, sad, sad story. An American goes over on a hunting expedition with a bow, shoots this beloved lion, and the lion didn't go down, just ran away, and they tracked it for hours, I guess, but ended up dying, and they ended up having to kill it with uh, some other, I guess, weapon. I guess they eventually had to probably shoot it. But sad. So now Zimbabwe's favorite animal is dead, and an American dentist from Minnesota is is responsible. Can you imagine? He goes on a hunting trip. Next thing he knows, he's got an inter- international incident going on. He didn't know it was uh, Zimbabwe's favorite lion. Meanwhile, back in the United States, Milwaukee's freaking out about a lion or some animal that seems to look like a really big cat. And uh, what do you do? Now they're trying to track some big cat out of Milwaukee. It seems obvious to me. You just call the guy from Minnesota over (laughs) and have them track it down. But can you imagine going out to get your cereal or, you know, eating your cereal and you watch some big lion or whatever crossing through your backyard? Here, kitty, 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 kitty. Here, kitty, kitty. <laughs> That's nuts. Oh, crazy time. So, um, 
you know, just be grateful. It could be worse in your neighborhood, right? You don't have a lion running around. And you, you're not now the center of an international problem with all of the country of Zimbabwe and, you know, Africa hating you. Could be worse. You've got a pretty good day. Hey, well, uh, let's go see what's going on in the headlines with uh, our good friend Kathy Aiken. Kathy? Good morning, Matt. Jonathan Pollard, the former U.S. intelligence analyst who was convicted of spying for Israel, is scheduled to be released on parole in November. Pollard was sentenced to life in prison in 1985 for passing classified documents to the Israeli government. Pollard will be required to stay in the U.S. for the next five years after his release from a North Carolina prison. GOP Congressman Mark Meadows of North Carolina yesterday filed a motion to vacate the chair. Meadows wants Speaker of the House John Boehner ousted, saying Boehner punishes members who vote according to their conscience instead of his way. This coming after Meadows was briefly removed from his position as chairman of a House subcommittee after voting against a measure Boehner backed. Meadows hopes the move will prompt a discussion, making sure everyone is treated fairly. The House is set to leave on its five-week summer recess today. The NFL has upheld Tom Brady's four-game suspension for Deflategate. NFL Commissioner Roger Goodell concluded the New England, New England Patriots quarterback destroyed his cell phone trying to hide potential evidence and thwart the league's investigation. Here's former NFL quarterback Mark Brunel. It's one thing to withhold your phone, not want to give up information, but to intentionally, deliberately destroy your phone that has relevant information, um, that is very damning to Tom Brady. On his Facebook page this morning, Brady denied destroying his phone to hide evidence, saying he did nothing wrong and was disappointed in the decision. Brady also said he'll continue to fight his suspension. Joyce Mitchell pleaded guilty yesterday to helping two inmates escape from an upstate New York prison last month. Mitchell said she helped the inmates because she was caught up in a fantasy and enjoyed their attention. Richard Matt was shot and killed while on the run. David Sweat was shot and captured. Mitchell could face seven years in prison when she's sentenced next month. Walter Palmer, a dentist from Minnesota, was accused yesterday of killing one of Zimbabwe's oldest and most famous lions without a permit. Palmer reportedly paid two people $50,000 who lured the lion named Cecil out of a national park. Palmer says he had the correct permits and thought the hunt was legal. African wildlife expert Des Kotsky said Palmer would have known the lion was Cecil. I mean, a black male main line like that, you can see from, from, from far, from a photographic point of view, and even a hunt, you're definitely going to identify this and say, well, hang on a second, this line is, is a collared line, and it is Cecil, because all the hunters and the conservationists and people in the wildlife industry in that area would have been very, very familiar with that line, Cecil. The two men Palmer hired are due in court today to face charges of breaching hunting quotas. Court documents show Palmer pleaded guilty in 2006 to illegally killing a black bear in Wisconsin. They say it's your birthday, right? Happy birthday to the world's oldest giant panda, Matt. Mm. I'm guessing I'm, I'm going to try to pronounce this Jaja. So, sounds great. J-I-A. Would you say Jaja? J-I-J-A? Jaja celebrated I have no idea. her 37th birthday. Really? The oldest living giant panda in human years. That would be about 110 years old. And her mate, An-An, celebrated. What was that? An-An. On on an 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 no that's on on okay celebrated his 29th birthday wow. so yeah big party going on in Hong Kong yesterday you know I love Panda Express 
I do too. <laughs> is that what we're talking about? No. How old is the How old is the panda bear? She is thirty seven. Yeah. So I guess most of them don't live longer than maybe twenty. So this is wow. you know, quite old. Do they pandas. have bear years like dog, dog years, years or I seven don't know. years? Thirty-seven equals one hundred and ten in human years, whatever that is. Wow. You no, know. no, that wouldn't be as many as dog years. Yeah, it's like it, three-ish. Yeah, dog years wasn't it seven? Yeah, seven. Yeah. Uh huh. So yeah. You know, thirty-seven. Th- that's old. Good for her. We need more pandas. I guess they just don't. They just don't thrive in captivity. They don't. They're kind of a lazy bear, aren't they? Aren't they even too lazy they, to mate? That's why, yeah, they, yeah. See, that's why evolutionarily they'd be done. <laughs> if you're too lazy to mate, you got big problems. You got some serious issues. Oh, yeah, they man. Probably want to go it's there, but... of, It's because if you eat at Panda Express enough, mm-hmm. same thing happens. You don't live long. You don't want to mate? Uh-uh. Oh, you don't. You don't want to mate. You don't live long. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Let's go with that. Let's go with that. That makes more sense. Wow, Kathy, that's insightful. Uh, we figured out about the mating patterns of the panda. Good job, Kathy. Hey, uh, great uh, guest coming up. One of my um, favorite guests. It's hard when we talk about things like the Iran nuclear deal. You know, we just hear a lot of political stuff being thrown around. And most of us don't. We don't know, right? We don't really know what is going on. We can go read the deal. But do you feel like you understand enough about international politics, about the Middle East, to even know what's really going on. So we've asked Amos Giroa to join us in a few minutes. He is a professor of law and co-director of the Center for Global Justice at the University of Utah, S.J. Quinney College of Law. And he's going to just walk us through Israel's view of the Iran nuclear deal. I mean, it should be making the Middle East safer, and in turn, you would think Israel would be safer. But, you know, that's not what we're hearing. Israel's not liking the deal, and I just wanted to pick Amos's brain, find out uh, his view of uh, this whole deal, and then get into some other news that he's he's right in the middle of about drone courts, some version, some way to make sure, you know, when we use drones, we use them in the most appropriate way. We'll take a break. When we come back, Amos Giroa up next right here on The Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, after over a year of drawn-out negotiations, the U.S. and its partners finally came to an agreement restricting Iran's nuclear capabilities. And uh, now that the deal has been struck with the Iranians, now uh, Secretary Kerry has to bring the deal back to the U.S. Congress and somehow get them to all pass off on it. You may have heard some of the latest uh, news about, um, you know, the majority of people don't necessarily like this deal. Fifty five percent of Americans or 52 percent overall want Congress to reject this deal. Only 44 percent say that it should be approved. And about 66 percent of Republicans say it needs to be rejected. Fifty five percent of independents say it should be rejected. And so it's it's not a real popular plan, at least back in the United States. And it's super uh, uh, it's, it's seriously not liked over in Israel. So we wanted to find out why and what the real view of uh, 
of, of the Israelis is about this nuclear deal. And joining us is Amos Giroa. He's been on the show before. He served for 19 years in the Israel, uh, Israeli Defense Force as a lieutenant colonel. He's currently a professor of law and co-director of the Center for Global Justice at the S.J. Quinney College of Law at the University of Utah. He's also an expert in um, international law, global perspectives on counterterrorism and religion and terrorism, and is just a, a wonderful resource for us. Uh, Amos Giroa, welcome to The Matt Townsend Show. Matt, thanks for having me. Great to have you back. And the the second I heard this uh, about the Iranian deal, I thought, okay, I got to talk to Amos again and find out what what really is the view. And you can't speak for Israel, but you understand the politics of it. What 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 is going on? Why wouldn't Israel like a deal that's going to somewhat, at least for the first time in a long time, regulate? Maybe not regulate, but get in and inspect nuclear the nuclear deal. I think, first of all, we, we, we need to be careful when we use the word Israel. There's no monolith called Israel. There are uh, different sectors in the Israeli population. Um, we're divided here like any other democratic society amongst different political parties, different perspectives, different analysis, different understandings. Yeah. And I think that if we were to view it from the perspective of the Israeli right – uh, which is now presently in government, and Prime Minister Netanyahu, uh, his, his argument has been consistent, and, or he has been consistent, that a nuclear Iran poses an existential threat to Israel's present existence and future existence. And I think that that from Netanyahu's perspective, he says that even if there's a deal, even if there's a deal, that the deal does not say Iran will never have nuclear weapons. Mm. What the deal says is that Iran won't have weapons for the next, what is it, 10 to 15 years. Yeah, 10 years. to 15, yeah. So from a Netanyahu's long-term analysis or his long-term perspective, even if, even if, and we'll get to the even if, and even if from a short-term perspective Iran does not go nuclear, the reality is that at the end of the day, Iran will have a bomb. So from his perspective, the, the deal is as bad as they come because it guarantees the inevitable. Hmm. Is In that, the context of the short term, yeah. uh, Netanyahu and those who agree with him are focusing on two um, different aspects of the deal. One, what it addresses, and one, what it doesn't it does not address. So you highlighted the question of inspection, but there's a, there seems to be a real problem with the inspection issue because as far as one can ascertain, the Iranians are the ones who will supply the material to be inspected. Mm. And if that indeed is the case, that's pretty serious concern because if I am violating an agreement, but yet I'm the one who's going to supply the material that is um, the problematic material – then that casts significant doubt on the validity and importance of the inspection. The second part of the agreement is the non-spoken part of it, which greatly concerns Netanyahu. And that is that the president of the United States, from Netanyahu's perspective, has put aside any discussion about the fact that Iran is a primary supplier, supporter of terrorism today 
and they clearly seem to be focused on supporting terrorism in the future. Right. So what Netanyahu suggests is, wait, why reward the Iranians for um, supporting terrorism, whether it's Hezbollah, Hamas, or whoever else it is, and giving them, in essence, a pass on supporting terrorism in exchange for uh, not having a bomb today, but mm. having a bomb 10 years down the road. Yeah. Well, and that, I guess that's, that's, Netan- that, that's Netanyahu's argument. Well, and that's one of the big points, right? Because if the sanctions are lifted, then uh, Iran will then be handed hundreds of billions of dollars or billions of dollars at their disposal, plus access to oil cells again. And now. And you're absolutely right. And if, if you follow the news very carefully, you'll see that today. Uh, I believe it was the French foreign minister yesterday or today, the French foreign minister went to Tehran um, and not to be crass about it, where there's clearly an enormous financial market in Tehran and Iran. And from the perspective of, of international business opportunities, and I say this, you know, quote unquote, there's plenty of money to be made in Iran. I mean, it's a huge market. Mm-hmm. And, okay. So that's, that's, now, some people will say that's good. Uh, you know, a market's a good thing, economic opportunities, financial opportunities. The question, of course, is what's that money used for, right? So it's a, it's a double-edged sword. From the, from, okay, so that's that's the perspective of the, of the Israeli right. Okay. From the perspective of, of, let's call it the Israeli center, the Israeli left, I think many, many individuals who fall into that group a long time ago came to the realization that Iran will have a bomb. Will it be in 2015, 2020, 2025, 2030? Iran will have a bomb. And then the, the question is, how strong, powerful, um, reliable is Israel's deterrence? And how rational is the Iranian regime in terms of understanding that Israel has significant deterrence ability? And if you, can't, if you view the re- Iranian regime as a rational regime, rational decision-making, decision making, then the fact that Iran will have a bomb is not a source of overwhelming concern because it's clear that Israel has its own um, powerful um, deterrence factor mm-hmm. that counterweighs or counterplays the, the fact that Iran, Iran may or not have the bomb. So if you do this very broad, very broad strokes, right, X percentage of the population is concerned, Y percentage is concerned but understands that this is the reality. Yeah, it's inevitable, uh, maybe. Right. Now, there's a broader concern here, which I, th- I think is worth addressing, and that is how does Israel's clear objection to um, the agreement, how does that impact American-Israeli relations? And so for individuals who also take a long-term view, there's an understanding or a concern that um, – if, for instance, at the end of the day, um, I think unlikely, but at the end of the day, the agreement doesn't go forward, um, there will be clearly those who will say yay. But I would also suggest that the potential consequences um, in the context of American-Israeli relations moving forward are also very significant. So you have to view these both of these from you know yeah. from two very distinct strategic perspectives. Do you sense, Amos – because we've talked about it on the show here before, that th- there's something um, amiss uh, in the relations between uh, Israel and the United States. It's a different, seemingly, a different type of relationship. And, and I mean, kind of more of a turn in just the thought of even just the general public towards Israel is changing. Yeah, I, I think, so I obviously uh, wear in this conversation two hats because I live here, work yeah. in the States, um, 
I think what unfortunately has happened is the very clear, I mean, it's as open as can be, antipathy between Prime Minister Netanyahu and President Obama has clearly cast, um, maybe too strong of a word, but cast a pall, a shadow over um, strategic relations. Um, and it's clear that that by now the, the antipathy, the, the personalized antipathy, um, which is unfortunate, but you know these things happen, seems to be impacting um, national strategic considerations of both sides. Yeah, that, that that I think is troubling, and I think that I mean in the past there have been you know, presidents and prime ministers who uh, didn't get along, who weren't buddy buddy, and you know that's the nature of the business. That's okay, but the question is, are they able to put aside that personal antipathy in the context of larger, more important, profound considerations? I think it's pretty clear that from Netanyahu's perspective, uh, he views President Obama as um, viewing the world through rose-colored glasses and has, from Netanyahu's perspective, that Obama has inexcusably given Iran, quote-unquote, a pass with respect to Iran's conduct in the context of supporting terrorism. Yeah. For, Net- for Netanyahu, that is, um, you know, quote-unquote, a no-go, and that's something that I, I think he and, and he and the president clearly see the world through two very <laughs> distinct lenses, and there's no doubt that the, the rapprochement is not possible here. I mean, we where are we? We're now in, in July 2015, U.S. elections November 2016. Your guess is as good as mine. Who gets the nomination? Who right. wins? And so on. Um, but um, between now and, and January 20th, 2017. Um, you know, Obama's president of the United States, and, and Netanyahu's going to have to live with this. Um, what happens thereafter, you know, your guess is as good as mine. But I, clearly, these these two leaders have absolutely diametrically, or rather profoundly diametrically opposing worldviews. And clearly, in the context of American politics, it's clear that, um, if I understand today, there are somewhere between 16 to 20 people running for mm-hmm. Republican nomination to be president of the United States. This issue for them is "quote unquote" low-hanging fruit. Yeah, um, and they're clearly are, are politicizing in the terms of their own campaign the Obama Netanyahu rift, um, and that's just I think where we stand. And one more, if I may, one more comment, if I may, um, I think it was on Tuesday, Monday, I believe that uh, Mike Huckabee. Yeah, I wanted to ask you about that. Yeah, in fact, do this. So, do this, Amos. Hold that thought. Let's take a break and come okay. back because, man, a lot of us thought Mike Huckabee just stepped right in it. And um, in, in an effort to defend Israel, uh, said something that many, in fact, very uh, many pro-Israeli, pro-Jewish you know, uh, Jewish supporters are saying, you know what, don't bring up the Holocaust. Don't 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 equate what Iran anyway. So we'll come back. I want to have Amos's reply to that, and also just uh, his view on because even our our leaders, both Republican and Democrat, are really struggling knowing how to respond to some of this uh, the Iranian Iranian deal. In fact, even uh, one of the top supporters of Israel, Sander Levin, in uh, Congress, basically just. Um, he just said this Iran deal is one of the best ways to handle it. So it's it's really interesting to see how people are trying to line up and still protect Israel, still be pro-Israel, and yet uh, have a hard time 
partnering in any way, shape, or form with Iran. We'll take a break, my friends, more with Amos Giroa on the Iran deal and also on drones and drone safety when we come back. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Up next. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Trying to uh, help us all understand the Iran deal, and, um, you know, it's hard. I mean, honestly, we try to simplify everything, and it's just our human instinct. And the reality is, and Amos Giroa is teaching this again to us again, that it's never just that simple. There is no just Israeli position, just like there's no U.S. position, per se, you know, the president speaks on behalf of uh, the country, and yet, you know, 52 percent of the people still don't like the deal. And so joining us is Amos Giroa. He's a professor of law and co-director of the Center for Global Justice at the S.J. Quinney College of Law at the University of Utah. He teaches criminal procedure, international law, global perspectives on counterterrorism and religion and terrorism, and uh, is an expert on uh, drones and um and, and kind of military uh, use of drones, and, and we're going to be talking to him about that in a minute as well, but I wanted to pick his brain a little bit more about the Iranian deal. Uh, again, Amos Giroa, welcome back to the show. Thanks, Matt. You brought up the, the Mike Huckabee quote. Let me just give the quote, and then I'd love to hear your take on this and enlighten us. Um, he was basically talking about president's foreign policy work with Iran and He says, this president's foreign policy is the most feckless in American history. And then he said, it is so naive that he would trust the Iranians. By doing so, he will take the Israelis and march them to the door of the oven. Your view, Amos, of that comment. I mean, it it was beaten up by pretty much every political figure in the United States. What what do you think, uh, what is your view? So I speak as as the only child of two Holocaust survivors. I found that comment to be, oh, pick your adjective, uh, <laughs> outrageous, offensive, um, irresponsible. Keep going. Yeah. He thinks um, he's speaking. He thinks he's supporting it is, Israel. It is. It is. This is going to be very well, – I'm going to tell you something that is extremely complicated for uh, Gentiles to understand, mm-hmm. so bear with me. Yeah, teach us. We in Israel are – are we're in many ways – we're obviously a complicated culture, obviously. One of the things that um, characterizes us is black humor. Um, which I know that when I share with my with my Gentile friends – our black humor, for instance, about issues like the Holocaust, people are, are aghast. And that's okay because yeah. every every culture has its own black humor. Sure. Right? What Huckabee did is this, from my perspective, is this demeaning tribalization um, of the Holocaust. And as a friend emailed me a couple of hours ago, 
I can only quote a friend of mine who wrote to me about Huckabee's quote. Um, what a great insult to the very people who died and suffered unspeakably. Hmm. I can't put it better than my friend. Yeah. So I have no doubt that Huckabee's looking for political points, playing to a particular um, sector of, of the American voting public. Um, you want to oppose a, the, the, the deal, oppose the deal. You know, take yeah. that long, what is it, 132 pages, 182 pages, however long it is. Tear it apart, rip it apart. That's, that's I think what, and I, and I appreciated Obama's response, which, yeah. you know, in the vernacular, he dissed Huckabee. He mm-hmm. like, said, like, really? You want to disagree? Let's have a discussion. Let's have an argument about the agreement. But to use those those cliches, those mantras, I get the I get politics. You know, I understand politics. I've been around the block. Um, but to 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 leading the Jews to the crematorium, leading Israel to the crematorium. First of all, nobody's going to lead Israel to the crematorium. Ain't going to happen. Right. Um, and uh, scoring two points on on, on on the blogs or the talkbacks or you know wherever you score points. Um, I thought really demeans both the the the, the importance of the discussion about the, the, the deal and absolutely insults uh, the memories of 6 million Jews. Yeah. I mean, and it is almost like the more he talks about it, the more he just digs himself in the hole. It's we, there's just sacred things. It's a sacred thing and you don't, you don't mess with it. Now a, a Gentile can't mess with it. Shouldn't mess with it. If if you if if Jews is if Israelis but, and Jews and want to do that, we have black humor about the Holocaust. Listen, we yeah. have black humor about the Holocaust. Right, no, right, and you can do that, right? It's you know, you but can even do that. here, even here, the the news the news announcer on yeah uh, either yesterday morning or Monday morning when he read when he it was the lead story in the news yesterday morning at seven, you could hear in his voice the the announcer right the the <laughs> radio guy yeah could hear in his voice like a huge. Really? Like disgust. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Absolutely. it's just, again, it's, and it, I think that's what's so interesting about this is it's complicated. And you, you hit it best. It, all of this is complicated. And yet, and there, there's a certain realism about it, it seems like, from Israelis that, look, nobody needs to defend us. We'll take care of us. We're fine. We're fine. And, and yet don't make it harder on us either, right? Like don't don't create policies that we then have to keep digging everything out of. So um, – and I guess that's – I think that's the important part of this is even Israelis are divided. And I mean sure. on and this. We're divided about everything. Listen, right. I don't know if you've ever been here. Uh, yeah, I have actually. Joker. You have not. You have or you I have I have. Not? Yeah, I have. Oh, you have. OK. So you know that as we kiddingly say about ourselves – Every Israeli is a former general, and every Israeli is a future prime minister. Right? <laughs> That's true, and everyone served in the military, right? So they all and, and everybody knows think everything. they know. Yeah. <laughs> It's true. Well, see, that's why, that's why I really – I want to talk to you about this uh, – your other expertise that I, I wanted to pick your brain on because you keep, you keep making the news. You keep making it in the news about the drone courts. I mean we're, we're out there using drones left and right uh, in this war on terror, and yet there really are no laws for how we're supposed to use them and how we discern you know, what's a target, what's not a target – and, and you're a big proponent of the of ne- the need for a drone court where we go in and we have to prove our case before we send the drone. Correct. Teach us why why is that? Why is it so important? I mean, we're at war, right? We're we're at a war with terrorists where there are, are you, are no are you, are you, are you, are you, are you no boundaries. 
So on the teaser before you came on, I heard you had some previous discussion about the laws of war. Um, as I understand war in the context of international law, war is between states. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's not yet a state of ISIS. Perhaps there will be a yeah, state of Yeah, they're trying. ISIS. Yeah, but it's not there yet. Um, the, 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 the basis for the motivation for the recommendation with respect to the drone court which co-wrote an article with my friend and colleague, Professor Jeff Brand, is predicated on, on our concern about unfettered executive power and the fact that the Congress does not act as a restraint or, or as a serious overseer of, of the use of executive power. And obviously the, the, court, the courts are not involved in it whatsoever. And the, the president – Right, you know, Democrat, Republican, whichever president um, exercises what I would call self-restrained, but unitarily self-restrained. Mm. Um, and in the context of, of drone warfare, I find that to be deeply unsettling. My and my concern, frankly, is is, is predicated based on my own experience in the targeted killing paradigm while serving in, in the Israel Defense Forces. Where there, the Israeli Supreme Court outlined for the Israel, for the government, for the executive, um, clear contours of what's allowed, what's not allowed in the context of self-defense. And those clear contours, those clear criteria, those limits have not in any way been um, articulated, imposed on the administration externally. And therefore, the, the suggestion idea with respect to a drone court is indeed to – impose external robust review proactive not i mean preemptive proactive yeah, yeah. on the on the executive branch because again of, of our deep concern suspicion with respect to unfettered executive power because even if they're acting morally and they're restraining themselves and they're and they're making it with the best intelligence it's you don't not everybody will do that well, first of all, you're you're using words which um, we all use, but I don't know what they mean for um, someone else, right? In real life, right? So, can the assumption, which obviously is a is a is a loaded word, that the president, whichever president, right, yeah, yeah. right, left, center, and his advisors or her advisors will have clear criteria that they narrowly and strictly apply predicated on what I call a triangle of legality, morality, and effectiveness on each and every drone. Uh, and if there's no devoid of external review, um, try as you may, you will not convince me. Mm-hmm. Is it, yeah, that's, 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 that's your concern. The, that's, that's the, that's the, the basis for our proposal. What can, and can it be done? I mean, I guess one of the arguments would be, Oh, well, Amos, that's not realistic. When we're at war, we have to send drones up when we need them up. Well, yeah. But I mean, this could be, all, this could be an immediate get, thing, I, right? Right. I get the logistical considerations, logistical concerns. The drone is there. The decision maker is in another place. And, you know, the bad guy is over there. And, oh, my God, how are we going to make this all happen? Well, mm-hmm. you know, not, not to be cynical in the response because I, I well understand and I'm respectful of the criticism. But – X years ago, we put a man on the moon. So technology enables all kinds of remarkable um, yeah. 
um, problem-solving um, mechanisms. And you can get judges on the phone if there's no time. You can get the you can get the decision maker on the phone. You can have video conferencing. There's all kinds of ways to overcome the logistical concerns. And on that note, I can but quote the former president, which we in Israel call president in the U.S. We call chief justice of the Israeli Supreme Court, um, Aaron Barak, when a different matter said something that is the answer to your question, and that is that the logistical burdens of the state need not be borne by the individual. Hmm. Yeah. The the, 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 the the person about to be bombed. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. So the state has to, you know, bear the burden of proving the fact coming that we up, need... Coming up with a mechanism. That's right. And um, in our article, we're, it's a very detailed argument about how you convene the court, who sits in the court, how you make the arguments in front of the court. I mean, we really did us like a, literally a step-by-step um, analysis of, of how to... Uh, create the court and how to apply the court and how to implement the court um, in an effort to uh, resolve and address the concerns that we knew that would be um, clearly um, raised by, you know, by by critics, which we well understand and respect that. Well, it's like a search warrant, right? I mean, it's it's almost it seems like it's a legal you're trying to make it a legal decision that's justified legally Instead of, uh, you know, just a, a reactive decision that might be based in some individual's morality. That's exactly right. And, and legality, and as, 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 as understood, um, with judicial approval. Now, one of the concerns, which I understand it, is that this means that the courts are signing off on, on um, death warrants. I've, I've been, yeah. we've been told that. Right. Okay. And that's an interesting argument, which I think is, is easily addressed by, if I recall correctly, before somebody is executed, he's been convicted by a court, and then there's an appeal process. And at the end of the day, the Supreme Court decides right. whether or not to uh, stay or vacate, right? And if the Supreme Court decides that you are that the decision of the court to execute you to you know to authorize your execution, the Supreme Court signs off on that. It, it's kind of the same thing, right? I mean, the courts are clearly involved in this. Yeah, in a way, that's. I mean, to me, it seems like, you know, a lot of people would like to have that, especially when all of a sudden charges could come against a political leader for what for going to war or actions taken in war. Um, It seems like it it might be safer to just know that we went through a legal process and and clean. Yes. And I think it also. um, Perhaps would would be perceived as 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 enhancing the, the legitimacy sure. of the drone program because it would it would be subject um, to again this robust external review which today is not whatsoever a part of the puzzle. Yeah, I I, I, I totally agree, and especially as as we we need solutions like this that are kind of out of the box, newer ways of thinking because technology is making more and more things possible. And so, uh, you know, it might be a, a better way to to be able to plan for the future needs that technology may bring when it comes to war. Uh, as we wrap this up, Amos, just maybe um, t- I don't know. Give us your insight because one of the things I know too that it was a really big deal about not, but it kind of parallels the drone thing is we've got to um, we've got to figure out how we deal with, for example, Iran still is kind of playing the world, um, it mm-hmm. seems like, thumbing their finger at us or whatever. And um, 
like making saying basically if if there's a war i don't know if you heard the 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 tweet that went out from the ayatollah did you hear about that no but a tweet went out from the ayatollah i think it actually happened today uh or yesterday that basically has uh, president obama with a gun to his head and it says we welcome no war nor do we initiate any war but if any war happens, the one who will emerge loser will be the aggressive and criminal U.S. So that was the Ayatollah actually on the 18th of July. He sent that out. So in one, so the kind of the religious side of Iran is is still taunting. Right. I, I think I think you make an important point. That I think it's important for your for your listeners to to understand this. There's obviously a a, a, a conflict, if you will, in Iran. Between the so-called reactionary conservatives and, and the more forward-thinking, um, everybody plays to a domestic audience. Yeah, uh, and just like President Obama and Secretary of State Kerry have undertaken a pretty significant, massive public campaign, whether it's Kerry's testifying in Congress or Obama speaking here and Kerry speaking there, going on all the Sunday shows. You know, the the Iranian uh, leadership is doing the exact same same thing, playing to different audiences. Those kinds of cartoons, tweets, statements are obviously not pleasant because some, it's reasonable to say, wait a minute, if we're making a deal with them, how is it that they are still you know, thumbing, thumbing their nose at, at yeah. America, you know, down with America, down with Israel, and so on and so on and so on? Um, it's necessary in the context of these kinds of complex arrangements to, I would suggest, to do the following. One is to take a deep breath. Uh, two, not to take every public statement seriously. Three, to be wary, to be cautious, and to understand that there is a certain amount of risk-taking in this deal, right? It's not a perfect solution. Yeah, right. And, I, and, and, and even though I saw that the other day, I think it was on Monday, President Obama said 99% of the world is in favor of the, of the deal. I think that he probably meant that in a, in a moment of, of where he was irritated because I don't think, I don't think that's true in the right, least. Right, um, and I And I do think that the, that the president and the secretary of state um, – need to undertake a pretty significant public selling campaign. I don't think there's much doubt about that. And every time that the Iranian, a, a Iranian and Iranian voice thumbs its or, you know, nose at America, that imposes, enhances the burden on the president in terms of, you know, selling it. And if one follows, the, you know, the blogosphere pretty carefully, the blogosphere is, um, and I, I try to read both right and left blogs, right? The blogosphere is not jumping for joy about this agreement. Right, and no, I think yeah. Secretary of State Kerry, I think a little bit has been perceived, and I, and I apologize for the term, and I've been thinking about is there a better term for this, but we'll just roll with me. A little bit has been accused of being a cheerleader, mm-hmm. right? He's being a little bit too overenthusiastic about the deal. And I think when he testified last week in, in, in front of the Senate Foreign Relations Committee, I think he was a little bit, if you watch his body language, he was a little bit taken aback yeah. by um, – um, the intensity of the questions. Yep, he was um, testy, wasn't he? Was Senator Cocker, uh, Crocker, Co- Cocker, who uh, yeah. said that he had been. I believe the the senator's word was that the secretary had been fleeced. It's <laughs> yep. a pretty strong word. Yeah. Um, and I think if you watch Kerry's heads, you know, go back a little bit, um, he was taken aback. And they're going to have to be um, in the sixty day period that, that they have to to make the case. They're going to have to make the case, and and, and th- these kinds of tweets, Facebooks, uh, you know, the postings uh, that come out of Iran are, are are you can you can dismiss it, but I think there's a risk in dismissing sure. it 
because they, they you know, they, they, um, they gain traction. And the, the, for the president to say, oh, 99% of the world is in favor of the government, that's not a compelling sell. <laughs> you, have to, you have to overcome the kinds of concerns that we talked about in the, in the beginning, particularly the two, I think the two primary concerns, one is about that, that Iran provides the material to be um, inspected, which is, I think, a, a weakness in the agreement. Yeah. And two, how do you overcome the fact that Iran can still be um, a, a prime supporter, financial and otherwise, of, of terrorism and therefore enhancing instability in an already unstable mm-hmm. regime? Uh, the president and the secretary have, from as far as I can tell, have yet to compellingly address that. Obama said, well, that's outside the box of the agreement. That's not, I think, a, a particularly, particularly compelling response to legitimate concern. I, I totally agree. And I, I really – I think that's part of what I love about just being able to talk to you, Amos, is understanding there's a complexity to this and we all have to learn to suspend our certainty to some degree and, and gather more and more data in order to be more convincing of others as well. Well, Amos, we appreciate you. Keep up the great work, and uh, and just uh, we're so we're so appreciative that we have somebody that can teach us uh, in a, in a fairly you know unbiased way. Um, let us understand what's really going on. Amos Giroa is his name. Go uh, if you want more information about him. Go look him up as professor of law, co-director for the Center for Global Justice at the S.J. Quinney College of Law at the University of Utah. We'll take a break, my friends. You're listening to the Matt Townsend Show. Stick with us. Trying to cut through it all right here on BYU Radio. On This Will Take a While, Dean Duncan shares engaging, expansive conversation, and it's guaranteed to expand your vocabulary. He wasn't perfidious, but he was some misanthropist. I was being tendentious, sort of demonstrable, but kind of grotesquely caricatured. <laughs> and me as a as a looky-loo or a bystander. A what? A looky-loo? A looky-loo. All right, that's a new word for me. This will take a while. Weekdays at 4 p.m. Eastern here on BYU Radio. Talk about good. Crib Notes. I'm Bob Carson with the Discovery Files. New advances in science and engineering from the National Science Foundation. Next to being cradled in your arms, the safest place for a baby to sleep should be in a crib. Infants spend 50 to 60% of their day sleeping. Now, environmental engineers at the University of Texas at Austin have found that babies are exposed to high levels of chemical emissions from new crib mattresses. They analyzed 20 new and old crib mattresses from 10 different manufacturers looking for emissions of VOCs, potentially harmful volatile organic compounds. The team ID'd more than 30 of them. They found that VOC emissions are four times greater in new mattresses and two times higher in the infant's breathing zone compared to surrounding air. They are increased by body heat, and because infants inhale more air compared to their body weight than adults do, they experience 10 times the inhalation exposure of adults. The findings suggest the reuse of an older mattress or an extended airing out period for a newer one. Trouble is, older mattresses could contain other toxic substances that are now banned. Currently, not much is known about the health effects of the levels of VOCs found in homes, but understanding the baby's slumber environment may help us all sleep a little better. The Discovery Files covers projects funded in part by the government's National Science Foundation. Learn more at nsf.gov. Tune in to the Kim Power Stilson Show. 
For people listening uh, across the nation, we are here in our studios on Brigham Young University campus, uh, nicely settled in the Rocky Mountains. For fantastic interviews and a great host. This is why I like being on the show with you, Kim, because (laughs) you're too kind. The Kim Power Stilson Show, weekdays at 3 p.m. Eastern on BYU Radio. Get a daily dose of Cougar sports with BYU Sports Nation every weekday at 12 p.m. Eastern right here on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. Looking for a musical adventure? Whether you want a didgeridoo playing folk singer from the Australian Outback or a tabernacle organist playing a Bach fugue, you'll find it all and everything in between on Highway 89, BYU Radio's live performance show. Every episode is waiting for you online, on demand, at byuradio.org slash highway89. Happy exploring. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here, your coach, your guide on the side. Good morning to you. You're just rushing to work now, aren't you? Just doing what you can to get there. Now, here's the deal. I found the craziest story. You got to be careful. So if you're a cell phone owner, have you ever just put the phone you know, in your pocket and you dialed the phone unintentionally? They call it the butt dial. You know, you put it in your pocket. The next thing you know, well, guess what? If you have inadvertently placed a call, you know, because of your posterior, you have no legal right to privacy about anything you then say or do. So if you have, you know, butt dialed somebody, whatever is now being said or overheard, according to U.S. Court of Appeals for the Sixth Circuit in Kentucky, you are not protected and have no right to privacy. Scary. The case involves an executive on a Kentucky airport board who mistakenly dialed an assistant, allowing her to overhear 90 minutes of a conversation about firing the board's CEO. The assistant took down every word. Oh, you must want me to dictate this dictation, sir. So she took dictation and uh, and even recorded some of it and later presented it to the board. The executive sued her, but the court ruled against him this week. A person who knowingly operates a device that is capable of inadvertently exposing his conversations to third-party listeners and fails to take simple precautions to prevent such exposure does not have a reasonable expectation of privacy. So, a plea to Apple and to uh, hopefully Microsoft 10, is that what we're calling it? Uh, To anybody that's creating any any uh, apps or any devices for your phone, you must figure out a way that we don't have these, you know, inadvertent dialings or somehow train our posteriors to quit dialing when we weren't even in on the call. Uh, You need to get on that or everybody's just going to quit using cell phones altogether. I'm not trying to create a scare here, but... uh, I cannot be responsible for what my posterior does when it's got its own mind. 
Uh, anyway, happy Lipstick Day. July 29th is Lipstick Day, which I was wondering why Ben was sporting that new red lipstick. But now I know. You look good. Every day I'm going to celebrate. Ben's leaving town. When are you leaving town, Ben? In like two weeks. Ben's hometown is in Hawaii. Yep. So you're leaving Utah to go to Hawaii for like two weeks? Yeah, so I'm pretty much ending my vacation and going back home. Yeah. Was this your vacation? Yeah. And you're going home mm-hmm. just to see the family. It's a little bit sad. but Well, if I were you, I'd take the lipstick off. It's going to get you in trouble. Did you know that George Washington would occasionally wear lipstick and makeup and wigs? Powdered wig. I'm not saying anything. Just, you know, he'd be beat up today. Actually, no, he wouldn't. He'd be totally accepted. Uh, During the Roman Empire, lipstick was used to indicate social status. Even men wore lip paint to suggest their rank. Uh, Interesting. Glad we've moved on, though. I could never pick the right color. Uh, Let's uh, shoot it over to Kathy Aiken, find out what's going on in the headlines. Kathy? Secretary of State John Kerry is back on Capitol Hill this morning after facing heated questions from House members yesterday on the Iran nuclear deal. Today, Kerry will testify before the Senate Foreign Affairs Committee. The Obama administration is trying to defend the historic agreement with Iran to curb its nuclear weapons program. The deal still faces a vote in Congress. The search for two missing teens in the ocean off Florida enters day six. Coast Guard crews today extended the search north of the South Carolinian coast. They're urging vessels anywhere near the area to report any potential clues to the boys' whereabouts. The boys' capsized boat was found on Sunday. Tom Brady's four-game suspension by the NFL due to deflated footballs has been upheld. NFL Commissioner Roger Goodell made the announcement yesterday, saying the Patriots quarterback destroyed his cell phone trying to hide potential evidence and thwart the league's investigation. Here's Peter King of Sports Illustrated. I don't think this looks good for Tom Brady at all. But Brady's point is going to be very simply, I don't care how it looks. You have no right to see my cell phone. On his Facebook page this morning, Brady denied destroying his phone to hide evidence, saying he did nothing wrong. He also said he'll continue to fight his suspension. Walter Palmer, the dentist from Minnesota accused of killing Cecil the lion from Zimbabwe, says he had the correct permits and had no idea the lion he killed was protected. However, the two men he paid $55,000 to help with the hunt were in court today to face charges of poaching. The pair reportedly lured the lion out of the national park where when Palmer shot it with a bow and arrow. This isn't the first time Palmer has had illegal issues. Court documents showed he pleaded guilty in 2006 to illegally killing a black bear in Wisconsin. Joyce Mitchell pleaded guilty yesterday to helping two inmates escape from an upstate New York prison last month. Mitchell admitted to smuggling in contraband and agreed to pick them up. Mitchell said she helped the inmates because she was caught in a fantasy. Clinton County District Attorney Andrew Wiley talked about the breakout. What it really came down to is sweating that, manipulating individuals to allow them to accomplish their ultimate goal. One of the escapees, Richard Matt, was shot and killed while on the run. David Sweat was also shot and captured. Mitchell is facing a possible seven-year prison term. The 51-year-old is scheduled to be sentenced next month. And Matt, you know, last hour we talked about Panda Express. Yes. How does a Philly cheesecake sound? 
It's cheesesteak. Oh, well, by the way, both cheesecake. of them, both of them sound fantastic. Very good. I, I don't take know if there is a Philly cheesecake, but this <laughs> cheesesteak. Well, apparently a GOP presidential contender, Scott Walker, has made some residents in Philadelphia a little uneasy oh, after no. going into a popular cheesesteak hangout and I guess not ordering correctly. I guess there's a, there's a specific way. So after tweeting the fact that he stopped by two iconic Philly eateries, Gino's Steaks and Pat's King of Steaks, one man tweeted back, Scott Walker cut in line to order cheesesteak with American cheese and no onions. Oh, oh, he's geez. not getting out of Philly alive. Oh, but Walker, man. yeah, he's not the first uh, politician to enrage Philly cheesesteak lovers. John Kerry in 2003 had the audacity to order Swiss cheese on his sandwich. When you never do that, I guess you ask for whiz, cheese whiz. Really? Yeah. Which whiz Khalifa? Isn't that a singer? <laughs> He's a great yeah, singer. Yeah, no, this is Cheese Whiz. Uh, you asked for Cheese Whiz you, I on guess a Philly? On a Philly, back there in Philly. That's, you know what you, you don't do? ask for American cheese or Swiss cheese. Where were the handlers? The handlers are supposed to handle this. Yes. Well, they. I guess one of his handlers had to say, I guess they were mad too that he. someone said he left his garbage on the table, assuming that someone is going to come and get it. Oh, come on. And so his handler literally yeah. had to tweet, no, he did take it. He was eating the sandwich as he was going to the car. I mean, this stuff is just so so crazy. I know. This is why it just makes you want more Trump stuff. Oh, for sure. Because Trump doesn't get caught up in the Philly cheesesteak <laughs> cheese problem. Or cheesecake. Yeah. Either one. Oh, Philly cheesecake. Well, Philadelphia cream cheese makes very good. cheesecake. Yes. See? There good. You. There you go. That's full a very circle. good. <laughs> I took it full circle. It did come around. Thank you for that. But uh, – do you like Philly cheesesteak? I love it. I love it too. But but no onions for me either. I don't care for onions. Oh, don't you? No. Do you like peppers though? You got to have. I do the pepper like peppers. Yeah, not the onions. But also too, there's you. You got to choose the right place to go to because mm-hmm. that just right there. That's those are in Philadelphia. I'm pretty sure the the cheesesteak. Um, what are they called? Restaurants that are like the, the main ones you were talking about. Mm-hmm. I think they're actually gangs, and it's gang affiliations. And if you don't choose the right one, you'll have a drive-by <laughs> where someone will throw a cheesesteak at you. Yes. So, I mean, it's like that's that's, that's a big important, deal. Very important back there, yeah. But So that's the thing that these senators or all of these candidates have to do is they have to negotiate all this mm-hmm. stuff. Yes. And if you don't do it correctly, you will get reported. Well, who, uh, Cameron in the UK, he ate some meal with a fork or something and people couldn't believe it. Were you supposed to eat it with your hands? I guess. Yeah. I thought that's where you were going with this, like – they had to cut Walker's hand off. <laughs> nope, he just ordered the wrong cheese and no onions. Cheese and that's whiz. not right. I mean, yeah, a lot of whiz. a lot. I didn't know cheese whiz was. Isn't part that of stuff that. come out of a can? I think so. Oh, that sounds awful. Actually. But it did make a great rapper, Wiz Khalifa. <laughs> you gotta love that. Wow, good job and a great update on uh, the candidates again. Isn't that funny? Like, I, I mean, I know that's just fun, but these people are supposed to worry about that. I mean, some of them have got to go figure out how to offend the entire Jewish population. And others have to go figure out how to offend the entire Hispanic population or Mexican population. I can't worry about chili or a Philly cheesesteak. I've got to go offend an entire group of people. Oh, it's hard. Isn't it hard? Aren't you glad you just get to do what you do every day? Driving to work on Lipstick Day, July 29th. Happy Lipstick Day. Um, isn't that weird? Men used to wear lipstick regularly. It was a sign of class and culture. Lip paint. 
We'll take a break, folks. When we come back, we're going to be joined by Judith Glazer. She uh, wrote a wonderful article um, about politics. Do you play office politics very well? Should you even get involved? Is life more about your performance or your politics? Right? We'll find out. Uh, Listen, we'll be right back, folks, talking the power of understanding how to play some of the games we have to play at work. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Stick with us, folks. We'll be right back. Welcome back, friends. You know, a new job is a fresh start, isn't it? So when starting your new job, how do you move forward? You've practiced your handshake, your intro. You may be wearing your lucky socks. But what kind of person will you be when you get there? Are you going to be the kind of person that plays office politics? Or are you only going to focus on performance? Judith Glazer, contributor to Psychology Today, joins us now live to talk about choosing office politics or performing our personal best in the workplace, giving us some insight as to which uh, strategy may play best for us. Welcome, Miss Glazer, to the Matt Townsend Show. I'm thrilled to be here today. Good morning. Great to have you. I loved your article on psychology today. And um, you, you really, you call yourself an organizational anthropologist. Yeah. You're, yeah you're, there are... <laughs> talk about that. So I, uh, I've had this fascination with a lot of things that weren't put into one shoe. You know, the foot didn't fit into the shoe yeah. when I was going to school. And so I had the opportunity to go on some archaeological digs where I was looking at these Neolithic sites. And I said, oh, my goodness, look where people were 6,000 years ago. Look where they are today. I would love to learn more about how we got from here to there. Yeah. And so I started to study everything I could find from neuroscience to linguistics and how we learn language and how we form culture. And uh, what's so fascinating is that culture is something that um, when you start to look at it inside of companies and examine what's going on in the dynamics of a culture, it teaches you so much about how companies either grow or fail to grow. Mm. And, and you got to play in that. I mean, the culture is is I, I guess kind of it's the it's the belief, it's the paradigms, it's the history, mm-hmm. all combined uh, into some kind of sense. I, I don't know how else, it's it's just kind of the unwritten rules of the organization. You got it. It's the unwritten rules, and and then it's the stories that come forward. That's the anthropological side of it. That people tell stories about their culture, and those stories are passed along from generation to generation, and it gives people a sense of what is or what isn't and how to succeed or how to fail in a culture. And um, the whole idea of leaders learning how to tell the kind of stories that inspire people to create breakthroughs, even if the culture that you have isn't the one you want, um, that's where successful leadership Mm. really takes over. Well, and I guess, too, successful followership, right? I mean, if I get into a company, I really ought to be paying attention to the culture and learning. Exactly, exactly. And and they are often hidden rules. Um, I have a story. When I worked with Donna Karen, um, you know, the designer who wears, she always would wear black. Uh, In fact, when I came for my interview, I didn't dress appropriately. And I opened the door and I walked into this room with 31 executives all wearing black. And I looked down and I said, "Uh (laughs) uh-oh. You're wearing white. Blasted. I didn't get get the email. That's (laughs) interesting. Yeah, Yeah. but... But, you know, the hidden rule there was, which I learned, is that when you work with Donna, you have to wear black because she thinks better in design terms 
when things are black so that there's no confusion in her head about what colors are happening around her. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Now, so, now, now is that, so is that politics or is that just culture? So here's where it gets really tricky and interesting. Um, if you're in the know, then you know to wear black, yeah. and that begins to make it politics. If you don't wear black, then the assumption is that you're not in the circle, the inner circle. Yeah. And so there are all these assumptions that are made about these, what we think are very small decisions that we make every day to interact in a certain way in a culture, because they are, it's so hard to disconnect the, um, the ego, because culture is about ego as well, and sure. how to be successful. So you have to learn how to read the, the uh, imprint of where success lies in a culture if you want to be successful. And we talk about that a lot on the show, how, you know, one of the most basic human needs is just the need to belong. And when you get to work, you need to belong to the culture. You need to be a part of it. And you can either, I guess, be formally, uh, you know, um, introduced into it uh-huh. hay- or hazed into it. Um, uh-huh. Or you could be or you could just start to become aware of it. I mean, I'm assuming all of the assistants to all of the people that were in that meeting, they probably all know that black's the color you wear. Oh, so, yeah. so then all the assistants wear it. I mean, it seems right. like then all of a sudden everyone's wearing it just because everyone's wearing it. Um, but it still doesn't make you in the know. So um, it's really fascinating. When I've studied, I end up coaching a lot of very senior people. And um, there's a, pa- a couple of patterns that show up where people end up with a coach. And not all coaching is bad coaching. But one of the things that I've um, learned in terms of the, uh, uh, the coaching practice are what are the kind of patterns that leaders fall into that get them in trouble? And one is they, they forget that there is this underground thing called culture. They come in because they've been hired to do a job. Uh, through the screening process, they're told what the job is all about, and they're picked because they're the best to do that job. So they assume if I start out with my feet on the ground and just run forward and do the task, I'm going to be successful. Hmm. And lo, lo and behold, it's almost the opposite, that when you come into a new culture, if you ignore the people, the stories, and you get in there and show off in a way, you know, how fast I can produce the results that you wanted and yeah. confirm that people made the right decision, you actually are going down the wrong path for success. Yeah, it's, it's almost like it's going to backfire, isn't it? And it does. And so I've coached people from two to three months in a job to 18 months um, where they're still struggling with that same phenomena that learning how to build rapport with people, learning how to build relationships, learning what, to, what is it that you need to honor from the culture that you're coming into. Who are the people that created this culture that are still there, that want to be known for having brought the culture to where it is, even if the culture is going to change by you coming in, um, just honoring the contribution that they made to get it there are steps that leaders forget to do and things that can transform dramatically not only their uh, success with the company, but there's com- the company's success in transforming to the next level. Yeah, it's almost like, yeah, you need rapport, relationships first, results second. People will give you the latitude, won't they, to get the results later, but you, mm-hmm. better, be, you better buy in because yeah. I'll know that right now. Exactly. And you better talk to me and smile at me every time I walk by you in the hall. So this is, there's this wonderful story I have to share with you you just triggered, which yeah. is um, an executive that I was coaching who was looked upon to be the next CEO of a very large global publishing company. That's an important role. So yeah. they brought me in to figure out why there wasn't 100% support of this guy. And I interviewed his direct reports to find out that he would come in in the morning 
and he was very much of a thinker, a planner. Um, he would, a little bit of an introvert, maybe even a lot, and he'd come in in the morning thinking about what he had to do by the time he got to the office, what his priorities were, and he never thought too much about that behavior doing any harm. It turns out that it was that moment, the morning of contact, where he would meet up with his people in the hall and didn't think very much about it since they knew each other for such a long mm-hmm. time. But he was imprinting a negative imprint on their feelings about how he felt about them. So if he didn't look up or if he looked up and didn't smile, the person took, uh-oh, I'm in trouble. Yeah. What did I do wrong, right? And every single one of his five direct reports had the same commentary because I said, where is it that you're feeling that he, you know, he's not supporting you or you know, you're, it's not 100% great? And the story would be about the morning walk. So in 24 hours, when I gave him the feedback about where he's imprinting people and how he's changing the chemistry of his team in a way that causes them to question and doubt their solid relationship with him, and he changed it overnight, and I came back again in three days and interviewed them, they said, what, like, what did you give my boss to drink? <laughs> <laughs> what is his deal? He's changed. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. And, and some of that is... It's not. It wasn't his intention. It wasn't. It, it had nothing to do with with what he was thinking or doing. But it's mm-hmm. it's just implied because culturally, you you engage more than that. Well, I, I, your words were um, one of the most important things about a culture is the, the, the need for belonging. Yeah, and that's what happens. That in subtle ways we shift. So in my new book, Conversational Intelligence, I talk a lot about the neurochemistry at the moment of contact. What is the chemistry that we're activating in other human beings that sets into place a thinking pattern? Either they trust me or they don't. Either they like me or they don't. The brain is in some ways black and white when it comes to that chemical balance of pulling towards, moving away from, uh, liking, disliking. We're so sensitive about belonging that if we feel we're not in the inner circle, it in some way negatively impacts how we see, taste, hear, experience the world around us. Mm. Isn't that true, too? Because you could also be a leader who really is inept in results creation, but mm-hmm. but intelligent, highly intelligent conversationally, mm-hmm. and, and have incredible buy-in, but no no competency mm-hmm. on the back yeah. end. Isn't that interesting? And, and yet we'll, we'll elect you every time. Yeah, yeah. Because you're fascinating, and we want to follow you. That's right. We want you make us feel good. Yeah. There's a, re, a a wonderful little reward that happens every time I'm with a leader like that because they know how to make me feel good yeah. about me, my relationship with them, and so forth. And and somehow some of those leaders end up getting people to work with them that are really talented, and they can develop them if they have that combination. That's a really great leader because mm. they you know they set the tone and they also know how to develop their people to be successful and uh, god i'd love to have a leader like that oh yeah and uh i mean it, and it's something that we can learn let's let's take a break we're talking again uh with judith glazer glazer the author of the book conversational intelligence she is a world leader and authority in um in uh we centric leadership and neuroscience Interesting stuff. Uh, Also is a blogger on psychology today. We're going to take a break, come back, find out more about how to integrate and and really understand your organization's culture there and how to use your conversations to build these relationships. Uh, Fascinating stuff, folks. Something we all need to uh, be able to get better results with people. We'll take a break. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Stick with us. We'll be right back.
We're back, friends. And uh, today we're talking about your job and your your need to understand the political structure, the culture that's going on at work. And you're also you need to deliver results. And we tend as humans to just kind of dichotomize that. So should I understand my culture or should I produce results? Well, the reality is at some point we need to do both. And really, uh, they inform each other, right? So if I understand my culture and I understand what's going on at work and what, you know, what are the sacrosanct things that nobody should mess with or say, um, all of that actually does inform my the, the results I should be getting. So we wanted to figure out how we kind of maneuver this this maze, if you will, of politics and performance at work. Joining us on, joining us on the phone is Judith Glazer, and she uh, is a, a, a best-selling author, and she has a new bestseller out, uh, Conversational Intelligence. She also um, she she knows what she's talking about. In 2004, she was awarded Woman of the Year in New York City. I mean, that's a big deal. And in 2012, she was listed in the top 10 consultants globally in the Excellence Top 100 Consultants. Um, I mean, that's another honor, right? So uh, we're fortunate enough to have her today. We found out uh, about Judith on Psychology Today on a blog post that uh, that we've been talking about. And Judith, welcome to the show. Thank you. It's uh, you, you have uh, a real good feel for how to navigate within this world of culture and uh, politics and performance. It's, your questions are great. Oh, you thank you. That. Well, you know, so. just so you know, this is my favorite topic on earth. Oh, so I can feel it. <laughs> you're, you're, in my, you're in my wheelhouse. And, um, but talk to me about it, because one of the things that it seems like a lot of us are maybe too rigid, like that example you were giving of the boss that he came in and he just kind of rigidly was doing what he liked to do, what he needed to do. But we need to be more flexible, don't we? We need to be bendable to the culture and the people around us. There, there's a real big movement that I think is taking place around the world right now that sits inside of this politics and how to navigate in it in a way that is um, perceived by people as a positive um, navigating uh, approach. And I'm, I'm getting inside of this thing now. It's the I-we uh, conundrum that yeah. the world has been living in, right? And, um, you know, how do we get to we without giving up um, who we are as a person and can contribute? You know, why, it's not about consensus anymore. It's about how do you have a voice inside of a company? That's the big new, I think, aha, that companies are realizing they have to enable um, it used to be that you, everybody gets on the bus. That was the expression yeah. a bunch of years ago, right? Get, and, get in yeah. the bus, yeah. Yeah, yeah. and you give up. When you get on the bus, you give up a lot of who you are, and you go along uh, the road to Abilene. You know, you, mm-hmm. everybody gets in the car, they drive for five, five hours, and then find out that nobody really wanted to go there. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Are we in Abilene? How did we get yeah, to Abilene? Exactly. Well, you were yeah. on the bus. Yeah. That's so great. Those, yeah, those are the cultural um, expressions. That used to be part of what people had to think about, but so much of our work is about helping people learn how to have a voice inside of a culture and not give it up. Mm. Because the voice of dissonance or resistance, if you see it in a positive light, is often a, a voice that says, stop the bus, either I get off or we, we, we change the map, and it's going to help all of us. And it's the leader that can stop the bus and say it's going to help all of us in a way that people believe it are the most successful leaders in the world. You have and to that, enroll people, right? I mean, yeah. it's not enough to just have the great idea. I, if I can't get you all on board, 
then this we're still going to Abilene. Exactly. And that fine line that you were talking about from the beginning of our interview is around where people try to use their influence and they use it for political reasons to get themselves up there in front of the right people so that they're perceived as being the stars in the company. And the new language of leadership is all about doing things that support other people and known as someone that can help people achieve results and that you're there for the team, and you have a point of view. It's like you said, it's not either or. Right. There's, a, there's an end here, and the new end is not as political as the old one was. It's, it's really a person that can be caring, have caring and candor, which are two of the most important assets for the 21st century. Because, too, it seems like that the old get on the bus, we're going to Abilene, it was such a rigid model, and you, you had to comply because there weren't a lot of other options um, right. But now there are so many other options that working is dynamic in a way that you don't even have to be an employee. You could be a consultant and probably do better in many regards and be less secure and yet more secure. So it's it's so paradoxical, isn't it? It is. But you know what? I, I mean, I started to study the millennial uh, generation and their thinking patterns and why they have been such a turning point for all of us. And they were the first generation that had so much of the Internet and so much of um, tweeting and interacting that way so that they, they're social um, beings. Like you were talking before about um, being belonging. They could create a belonging just by opening up their phone hmm. and sending out some notes. So they always had somebody by their side saying, I'm here with you. Um, even if they, they weren't talking about advice, it's just that feeling <clears throat> that you have somebody who will help you if you need it instantly. Yeah. And, and it's freed them to change the game. What what are what are some principles we should be living to make sure that we maintain that flexibility in our culture? Um, I, there's there's a phenomena around what it means to have an open mind. Um, it's so easy to quick to go quick to judgment, um, especially if you feel like you have to protect your point of view. And the new leaders are able to um, stay open and listen to connect. So this my big principle is how to learn how to listen to connect. Mm. Even if you don't agree with the point of view, know that there's something about acknowledging and honoring somebody else's different perspective that will win you more points at the, um, and I'm going to say this, at the chemical level Mm -hmm. in your body than people ever realize. There's actually a part of the brain, um, rastromedial prefrontal cortex. Watch your mouth, young lady. (laughs) No, go ahead. That that lights up when we think somebody is like us or not like us. Right, And when we feel somebody who, even though they disagree with our point of view, honors our point of view, that light goes off and says, okay, I can trust that person. Hmm. You know you know what it reminds me of? Um, uh, Senator Orrin Hatch, you know him, of him, mm-hmm. and uh, Senator Ted Kennedy. Mm-hmm. You couldn't find two more different people. Mm-hmm. But they were honestly really close friends. And... Mm. So what was so weird about it is politically they drove each other crazy. No one was more conservative or more liberal and yet – and really from such different worlds and and yet they they somehow were able to turn off that that kind of – they, they were able to connect and they uh-huh. trusted each other. And they always knew that Oren would be Oren and Ted would be Ted and yet our politics may not align and yet I know I've got – somebody I'm connected with. So here's what I think I'm hearing you say um, that I love, which is that 
um, when, when we know somebody's going to speak their piece, they're going to stand up and say what's important to them, and that they're not going to um, activate the part of us that makes us feel small as a result of feeling different, um, then we respect them tremendously. Mm-hmm. And we, we, we make more room for them. We know that this is kind of like, wouldn't it be fun to get into a boxing ring with somebody that's as good as you so that you can get better? Yeah, yeah. Right? Not just winning over them. And I think they, they probably matched on intelligence and matched on energy and matched on commitment. And ego, and they, yeah. Yeah, and, but they respected that mm-hmm. in each other. Yeah. See, and that's because in a way we have to turn off the chemicals or turn on the chemicals to have receptivity, right? To be, have a, to, to be open to someone else. If if I always see you as someone I don't trust or I don't that is a threat to me or that you're not really aligned to me, um, then then you almost become an, an opposition to me. You're you're somebody I have to now deal with. Exactly. And once I've labeled you an opposition or a foe. Um, my brain then goes into a radically different um, level of receptivity, which mm. is what you were talking about. And I, I block listening to you, and I start judging you in my head almost before you finish your sentence. Yeah, It's like, here they go again. And, and I'll just look for the evidence to destroy it. That's right. And so that becomes selection. And so it's the funny thing about this is everything in our lives. This is our politics. We do the exact same thing. We see somebody of an opposite party that's saying something opposite as a threat, so we immediately put up a fight. But what you're saying is somehow we have to remain open, this principle of open-minded, openness. It's openness because um, learning, even if they are your enemy, and maybe it's not as bad as an enemy, but it's somebody who disagrees with us, we, if we focus on learning about what we don't know about people, examining, that's why I love the anthropological perspective. It's looking at everything as a learning moment, exploring things to find out what you didn't know so you can learn more. So you have another person you don't understand. Learn about them. Learn about their politics. Learn about how they operate, because that's only going to help you become a better navigator in whatever storm comes up, whether it's mm-hmm. that person or somebody else. It gives you the skills for beyond survival. It's for thriving in yeah. a complex world. Yeah, it's rich. It's a, it's a richer life, isn't it? Yes. Because you're going exactly. to experience stuff you wouldn't otherwise experience. Totally. And, and I can still disagree in the end, and yet I can understand you. Yep. That's yep. pretty cool. Yeah, so, cool. so openness is one uh, principle, and and also the listen to connect. Instead of me listening to kind of convert you or change mm-hmm. your opinion, you're just mm-hmm. saying more. Just look more to the emotional connection. Yep. There's a the second one, which is similar to being open. Is the follow up to that, which takes it even a step further, is um, being willing to be influenced. Hmm. And yeah. so. Right. That's that's one step further where we now know that when I let somebody inside of me, when I listen empathetically, when I'm appreciative of their point of view. Now, this may sound a little woo woo, but it's it's pretty true um, that whatever they're saying is a map of energy. It's a map of chemistry that I pick up and take inside of me and hold it as another place. It's like I bring it into my library of insights when I do that. Then I now have a ready built library. I'm building a library of insights and wisdom that when I'm open to trust the world around me, that doesn't mean you shouldn't be cautious, but when I allow all these imprints to come inside from even people that I don't know well or may not like, but just an understanding of how they operate, those patterns get logged inside of me, and the brain is a pattern-seeking phenomena, and it starts to connect patterns, and we get intuitive insights out of mapping patterns from other people and then starting to make sense of them. Hmm. And all of that's going on um, on on a subconscious level, right? That's happening without even a thought attached to it necessarily. 
that's good. We're not conscious in the yeah. way that we're conscious of thinking about, I'm going shopping, I need to buy this, that, yeah. other thing. It's happening in a way that is in 0.07 seconds. We can read some of these energetic patterns, and if we allow them in, allow influence, and we map them, we have now, we're storing books. It's like going to the library and getting, amassing all these books about in, insight and wisdom, and we start to put it together. And, we, and at the unconscious level, we start to seek patterns, and then they start to emerge up. And like, have you ever had this thing where you say, oh, my God, look at that connection. I get the, how that connects to that. That's mm-hmm. amazing. Oh, yeah. Every day, yeah. Every day. That's because you've been allowing this imprinting process to take place. Yeah. You're, you're storing the patterns, and now, you're, now your brain is starting to make sense of them, and they become an intellectual phenomena in your life. And it's not, it's not like mutually exclusive. It's not like I have to do... I'm doing this one by one, except what I learned today with you will enhance my tomorrow with someone else. So, so it's not like I've just got to keep doing it. It's everything's additive. It's additive, and it's easy. And it's easy once you've had it, this feeling of oh, that's an aha, mm-hmm. right? Then you know that the brain has been working on your behalf, and you didn't need to do anything but go to sleep, eat, and um, exercise a little bit. Yeah, well, a little and, bit. Yeah. A little bit, and 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 have good relationships with the people around you, even the ones that are difficult, because that chemistry of um, when two people engage, like we're having. I love the questions you're asking, and and the level of insight is really high. So I'm now mapping. I'm getting more oxytocin. Yeah, and, and you're getting it. Me too, totally. Sharing. Yeah. So I don't care if what the listeners are getting. <laughs> it's about us right now, Judith. Yeah, exactly. But the, it is. It's it, what it is, though. Is it's. It's that synergy, right? It's just that – it's that je ne sais quoi. It's that we don't – what is that? It, it's, but it's powerful and it's real and it right. will make you – it will make you more promotable. It will make you more of an asset, more able to produce. It enhances you. It, and I'm going to share one quick story about um, what you're talking about. I have a client that I had for a couple of years and he called me after not talking to him for 10 years and he said, you saved my life. I helped him stay in a company. Uh, he was going to be fired, and he is, was such an amazing contributor, but his ego got in front of him all the time, and he pissed people off mm-hmm. for that reason. And I, and I helped him uh, swallow the ego and learn how to be present and connect to people. His son, 25, 27 years old, was, not, was just fired from a job in China and was not having luck, 160 IQ, but just mm. not getting it, putting the ego out there too far and so forth. So I worked with him to understand the patterns we're talking about, the pattern of connection, the pattern of belonging with others and supporting and, and supporting others in order to help the world get bigger comes back to be a positive impact for you. He got it. And we, he, I, I have a little tool called WeIQ that has a lot of these patterns in little stories and in things to try and experiment. And he just went in and he started to do it. He now has, I think, three job offers. Wow. He said, he said I'm nailing it. I walk in. And this new pattern comes out of me. And he said, I, I, I'm beside myself. It's like a whole new me that got born. And, and, and it's a pattern that I had to find. Wow. It is. Yeah. It is yeah. a pattern. And, it's, and it's, um, what's so powerful, though, too, is you're saying it's learnable. Yes. So it's, yes. Not, like just, it's not some gift you're born with. It could be. But it, you also, it's a strength. You can grow it. And so this is why I love conversational intelligence. Once we learn that conversations are patterns, and once we learn that there are success patterns, that we can be who we want to be as a human being, where I'm not changing the person. I'm giving them another set of eyes through which they can see themselves and see other people 
in a new way and make changes that have profound, literally profound. I mean, this, when I heard him talking yesterday, I, I couldn't sit still because mm. the joy in that he said, now I have something to hold on to before I'd go in and out of kind of knowing it one day and not another day. Yeah. 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 So, yeah, yeah. And it's almost, it, it helps fulfill you. Yes. That's exactly. cool. So now a part of Judith Glazer is now out in the world with him. That's cool. Yeah. That's good stuff. Well, I I do. I love what you're doing. And we're going to have to have you back now a million times. I love it. I love it. Keep this dialogue going. Um, And so the best place for them to go then is is it conversationalintelligence.com to go find what you're doing? That's that's where they can find out more about the book and all the stories and all the things that will help them, you know, a little extra Neuro tips and things like that, and the book is available on Amazon. Um, and um, we just love when we get stories that people have bought it, like a couple who said every week they picked a different chapter, and they talked together about what they learned in the chapter, and they said their relationship just changed so dramatically. Oh, that's so, great! No, yeah, it's great. It's, that's how it works, right? Conversations yeah. have the the power of creating our symbols and and changing things. Good stuff. Again, yeah. Judith Glazer, thank you so much. And uh, everybody go check out the website, conversationalintelligence.com. Also, you can find uh, Judith on um, Psychology Today. Just good stuff. That's, you know, there's good in the world, folks. And honestly, it's everywhere. It's in your conversations. It's in your job. It's in you somehow connecting your spirit to your work and what you're doing every day. It's all there, and uh, we just kind of need to focus on it a little bit more, one of the goals of this show. Stick with us, folks. We'll take a break. Come back to a quick little Coach's Corner. This is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us right here on BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, there's so much power in your relationships. And, you know, it's going to make you or break you. And what some of that stuff that Judith was talking about, you know, you can go in with your degrees and you can go in with all of the IQ you want. But in the end, you're either good at the emotional level, one-on-one with somebody, or you're not. And it can't be faked. In the end, people know. You know, it's like a muscle. And if you can either, if you can give me 30 push-ups right now, like Ben's been doing push-ups all morning. And that just is to prove that, you know, he's a man. But you can either do it or you can't. If you have not put the work in to give me 20 or 30 push-ups, you can't fake it. You're not going to get down there and fake it. The funny thing about our lives, though, we fake a lot of stuff. And, you know, fake it till you make it. That's all. That's my motto, Matt. That's great. The problem is you can't fake a trustworthy relationship because you've either got it or you don't. And if you don't have it, you're going to pay for it. People we don't trust, people that we don't automatically have some connection with, it slows the process down. And if, if we're not effective at creating that relationship, you will end up costing more, taking more, having to use more energy and resources to get the same results as the person that sits in the cubicle next to you that can do that. There's a great quote I just found um, about this idea of uh, of kind of suspending your certainty. 
Uh, Tony Schwartz said, let go of certainty. The opposite isn't uncertainty. It's openness, curiosity, and a willingness to embrace paradox rather than to choose up sides. The ultimate challenge is to accept ourselves exactly as we are, but never stop trying to learn and grow. But at some point, all of us, whether it's allowing other people's points of view into our conversation or allowing or trying to understand the Democratic side or the Republican side of an issue, right, um, or the Democrats' side or the, or the Republican side of an issue, or trying to understand your spouse's point of view and understand your point of view and suspend and be influenceable. You know, let people influence you. Yeah, but what if they – I don't want them to change my mind. You can still believe and be influenced and all it will do is make you more, more accessible to other people. People trust people that can suspend their certainty, that don't have to always argue every point in an effort to win every argument in every case. That's probably why there's some backlash with Donald Trump is even if he's accurate in some of these things, he's so contentious and unopen that people they have an aversion to him. You don't need to argue stronger. You, you could actually just understand more. And the more you understand, the better you create the argument. Anyway, that's a little coach's corner for you. Folks, again, all of us, we all need it. Nobody's got the higher one on this one, right? We all got to keep learning it. We're going to take a break, uh, do a little news when we come back, start a whole new hour. Uh, we're going to be talking with our tech guru, Jay McFarland, next hour in the What the Tech section of the show. Also be visiting with our friends down at BYU Sports Nation. Stick with us, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, friends. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Your coach here, your life coach, your guide on the side. Welcome to the program. Man, have we got a great one for you. Just a few minutes, we'll be talking with Jay McFarland, our tech guru in the What the Tech segment. Uh, also, um, we did want to celebrate with you uh, Happy Lipstick Day. And I really like the color you're wearing, Ben. It's kind of like a coral, isn't it? It's like a coral. Yeah. Yeah, it's well, let's ask. Well, let's ask. Kathy would know what color. Yeah, that is. coral's not in right now, Ben. Yeah, Ben, you got it. Yeah, oh. need more I, the pink tone, I believe. Don't you think? Just yeah. I, or just something. I think just like a hot red. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that's the word. Maybe it's. Maybe he thinks it's coral because he's from Hawaii. I, yeah. I don't know. Yeah, don't well, bring that I was up. I was gonna say coral or salmon. But... Salmon. <laughs> mm, salmon. Salmon. Don't get, don't get Matt hungry. It's always this, it's this last hour. I always get really hungry. I don't. I don't know why. Hey, uh, did you hear this story about the armored truck in Greenville, South Carolina? People are driving north on Interstate 85, and uh, encountered an unusual shower of uh, cash flying through the air, fluttering through the air. Um, apparently, the money fell out of a armored truck. This is crazy. I do not understand this. We have technology. 
but we still can't make an armored truck that can keep the money in and the bags that can keep the money in. Uh, But anyway, troopers in Greenville County Sheriff deputies were called to the area. They basically said that a door had come open on an armored truck and the loot it carried was spilling onto interstate around 8 a.m. All All the people stopped their cars and they were like, we're in heaven, and they're gathering money, filling their pockets. We're getting reports that people are stopping on I-85, getting out to look for money, which is causing traffic problems. So, you know, if you're behind in the bills, if you need just a little pick-me-up, head to South Carolina. Apparently, there's just it's just raining money. I wonder how many uh, took it back, gave it back. Any? Well, but see... Do you have to give it back? I think so. If you were praying for money that morning <laughs> and you're driving down I-85 or whatever it is, I- I-85 between 135 and Pelham Road, mm-hmm. and you're praying, you're like, Heavenly Father, God, I need I need enough money to buy a lotto ticket. And the next thing you know, all this money hits your windshield. <laughs> I have a feeling that's not how he'd answer the prayer, but I don't know. Maybe so. <laughs> he probably wouldn't go for a lottery yeah. ticket. No, no. Good good answer. Good answer. Well, all right. Uh, that's just the news good I try. bring in. Let's go to the real news, though, with Kathy Aiken and find out what else is going on. Senator John McCain criticized the Iran nuclear deal at a hearing this morning on Capitol Hill. The Republican chairman of the Senate Armed Services Committee blasted the deal, saying it paves the way for Iran to develop an atomic weapon and will give the country billions of dollars to spend on the international arms market. Defense Defense Secretary Ash Carter disagreed, saying America is moving full speed ahead to confront Iran's activities in the region. Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell last night fast-tracked legislation to defund Planned Parenthood. This coming after undercover video showed Planned Parenthood doctors talking about the illegal sale of fetal body parts after abortions. Twenty-five Republicans signed the bill, which they hope will get to the floor as early as Monday. Senate Minority Leader Harry Reid reportedly isn't concerned too many Democrats would agree with the bill, saying it's an attack on women's health and Republicans are catering to a, quote, right-wing crazy deal. If the legislation passes, it would defund Planned Parenthood and redirect its federal funding to other women's health organizations. Texas officials have released hours of video showing 28-year-old Sandra Bland during her three days in jail. This was done to dispel rumors that Bland was dead before she arrived at the facility. Waller County Judge Trey Duhon said the conspiracy has led to death threats. Authorities say Bland hanged herself with a garbage bag three days after she was arrested for allegedly assaulting a state trooper who pulled her over for a lane violation. The search for two missing teens in the ocean off Florida enters day six. Coast Guard crews today extended the search north off the South Carolina coast and are asking vessels in the area to report any potential clues to the boys' whereabouts. Walter Palmer, the dentist from Minnesota accused of killing Cecil the lion from Zimbabwe, said he had the correct permits and had no no idea the lion he killed was protected. Palmer paid two men $55,000 to help with the hunt. Those men were in court today to face charges of poaching. The two men used bait to lure the lion out of the national park it was in. In 2006, Palmer pleaded guilty to killing a black bear illegally in Wisconsin. Tom Brady's four-game suspension by the NFL due to deflated footballs has been upheld. NFL Commissioner Roger Goodell made the announcement yesterday, saying the Patriots quarterback destroyed his cell phone trying to hide potential evidence and thwart the league's investigation. NBC's Mike Fiorio said this is hurting Brady's image. 
I think what happened today has given the people who are already inclined to be against Tom Brady to presume that he was guilty. They have even more ammunition to argue that he's guilty. The people on the other side of that coin, they don't know what to say. On his Facebook page this morning, Brady denied destroying his phone to hide evidence, saying he did nothing wrong and will continue to fight his suspension. Also this morning, team owner Robert Kraft said he was wrong to put faith in the league and said it was never about doing what was fair and just. What do you Mm. think about that? You know, okay, so somebody is lying. Mm Mm-hmm. That's all I gotta say. <laughs> Isn't it crazy? So it's funny though. If you're a Patriots fan, yeah. Oh, you're oh, like this, you is, this a travesty. is awful, right? But if you're not, you're saying, "Hey, he destroyed his Kill phone. Him. There was evidence. Right. Why didn't he turn it over? Who destroys their phone? Nobody. No. Only unless well, you're trying to hide something. And my teenagers. Yeah. Ironically, it kind of was destroyed by his assistant. Similar, or right around the time that he was being asked about the incident. Yeah. So, Isn't that yeah, weird? And weird. he wasn't going to turn it over anyway no. because he didn't want to set a precedence because he's a union member. Mm-hmm. And if he starts turning his phone over, then every NFL player would have to turn their phones yeah. over eventually. There was a good article today where uh, a beat writer is just saying, you know what? Just let it go. Let's move on. Yeah. This is getting ridiculous. And I think if he does take it to court and is found guilty there, uh-huh. I mean, it's just going to make his uh, him look a whole lot worse. So I but, don't know what he's going but to But it's do. almost like this is the nature of how this goes because they'll just – they can keep appealing it. Mm-hmm. It can go on forever. He'll still probably be suspended. He's going to ask for a uh, – what is it? A stay where right. he can still play. Uh-huh. And, but in the end, um, no one will – no one really cares anymore. Let's just – if it just – if he'd let it go, that's one of the rules of public relations is you don't – you know, you don't burn down a cathedral to boil an egg. Right. Just say – like someone said, just say, you know what? Yeah, I'm sorry. I, I made a mistake. And then people forget very oh, yeah. quickly. Oh. But when you make it go on and on and on. And I mean, have it, you heard of Michael worse. Vick? Oh, yes. Hello. <laughs> people he's forget. Still playing. I yeah. know. They yeah. forget. Yeah. Come on. It but was you some need balls. to get it, get it done with, over with you know, yeah. quickly. So. But the more you deny it, the more you just. It does. It drags on. And, and then, you know, then what? Well, the, it starts. The first game is what I think in four weeks, something like that. Well, so. isn't it weird because Kraft is—is is that his name, Bob Kraft? Mm-hmm, Bob Kraft is their bud. He's buddies. He's buddies with Roger Goodell, and, and so, I think he thought hey, this is going to be Goodell, this is going to go our way. Of. And when it didn't, he is kind of upset that he didn't uh, do something a little more aggressively. There's sometimes that you just have to throw someone under the bus. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> and but he's not throwing Tom. I mean, no. He is definitely defending his quarterback. So. Except it is co- it's going to cost him. Stock. I mean, people yeah. are. But what would be interesting if this goes to court and the two men that apparently did what Tom yeah. asked them to do? I mean, watch them get up there and have to say, you know what? Yeah, Tom yeah. Brady asked me to deflate the footballs. Right. It's not going to look good in front of a court. Yeah, w- under oath. Under oath. Oh man, I'm telling you, <laughs> isn't that crazy? And that you know what? It, the game. This it didn't even matter really. You know, and when you see stories like the Planned Parenthood situation, mm-hmm. like, come on. Okay, there's, there's bigger much issues. bigger issues yeah. in the world. Let's, I mean, what we go. should be taking to court mm-hmm. was the Seahawks' decision to pass. For sure. On that last on play, that instead last of handing it off to lunch, what were they thinking? Let's take that to court. Okay, that's much more important, especially if you're a Seahawks <laughs> Jay, fan. Somebody needs to pay for that. Seriously. Sue the coach. <sighs> Not to get all political, but I just did. Hey, um, good stuff. We're going to go uh, in a minute right now. In fact, actually, we're going to take a break, come back to Jay McFarland. He's our what the tech expert. We just like to have somebody that, that is in the know. And Jay is in the know. All things tech. We'll be running through a bunch of topics. Uh, 
pretty much everything you can imagine from what phone should Lindsey Graham get to uh, to major flaws in Androids that are letting hackers get in with just a text message. All things tech. Stick with us, folks. Up with Jay McFarland right here on the Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, all you techies, to the Matt Townsend Show. On the line is our tech guru, Jay McFarland, and uh, he is he's really all things tech in my book. He has a great website if you go to jmcfarland.com. He's also the author of two books, Freedom Ain't Free and Joyful Union. He's uh, an app creator. He's created hundreds of apps and uh, several popular apps and games for iPhone and iPad users. Um, he also has a show called The Browsers, which is on KSL Radio that uh, airs throughout uh, the Intermountain West and um, where he just basically browses the web for you and helps you figure out what's the latest and greatest in tech news and other information. Jay McFarland, how are you, gentlemen? How you doing? I'm, I'm doing fantastic. How about you? Great. I, uh, Windows, I, Windows 10 day. You know, is, is today the day? Today's the day. See, isn't that weird? Because it's um, it's lipstick day and Windows 10 day. Wow, there's uh, somehow. <laughs> I just want to see lipstick. if you can draw a, a comparison there. Yeah, this is Windows 10. It's new lipstick for your old computer. There you go. <laughs> Putting new lipstick on an old pig. <laughs> is it? Is this going to make a big deal? This is the make or break of. Uh, do you believe of Microsoft? Well, look, Microsoft is on just about every PC out there. So I. I don't know if it's a make or break. I mean, they expect us to be downloaded by 1.7 billion people, I think. So uh, what the early reviews are saying, this is uh, this is going to save them from the mistake that was Windows 8. And it's getting a lot of high praise right now huh. uh, as people are looking at it and reviewing it. What are some of the features that will stand out? Well, here's the here's the thing. I've been saying for a long time that Windows is or Microsoft is the only company who is heading in the direction that I think we all want to go. And they tried to do it with Windows 8. They just didn't do it well. And the direction is we don't want to carry around, or at least I don't, a laptop, a, a tablet, right. and a bunch of other devices. I want a tablet that's a tablet and touch when I'm out and about. And then when I get to work, it's a desktop or a laptop, yeah. right? So yeah. Full functionality when I need it or tablet functionality when I need it. That way I don't have to have two devices. That's what Windows 8 was about. They saw that that's what we wanted. The problem is there wasn't enough distinction between the two. So you'd buy a, a laptop and it didn't have a touch screen, but it had all this Windows 8 touch screen functionality that made absolutely no sense. Hmm. If you didn't have a touchscreen, right. if you had a if you had a Microsoft Surface, it made total sense, and and it got really good reviews as a tablet slash laptop or desktop operating system. Huh. So they were heading in the right way. They just confused the heck out <laughs> of everybody who didn't have a tablet. Right. So that was that was the core problem. So they've kind of headed back towards Windows Seven, where you'll still get your Start menu. 
The interface is really clean. It's beautiful. And then they're rolling out some features we haven't seen on Windows before. Do you want to know what those Yeah, are? what are those? You break them down. So the first one is Cortana. This is their version of Siri. Okay. So so you'll be able to, you know, ask it questions, ask it dumb questions, and have it respond to you. Now, why Cortana? Uh, why the name Cortana? It sounds like it's, a, it's an outer space person that's Cortana like from another actually, planet. <laughs> you're close. It's from their game Halo. Oh, okay. Uh, Cortana was like the uh, robotic female uh, oh. scannily clad assistant. Oh, you mean Cortana? From, yeah, from the Halo video game series. <laughs> so that's that's where they get okay. I haven't used Cortana yet. I'm not a fan of Siri on the iPhone either. Aren't you? Um, no. I She doesn't understand me. I, I don't know why. <laughs> She's too uh, highfalutin. I'm like I have an accent. Yeah, no, you sound great to me. She doesn't understand me. I to me this is a horrible product. I can't stand Siri, but my co-host Amy, she uses it all the time, constantly, and it understands her and and well, they get along great. Jay, maybe what instead of Siri that's high, so highfalutin or Cortana, they need they need like um a, a, a one called Gus that's just for like the white <laughs> trash people like you and I that that don't talk right and that we Gus just Gus. Don't you think? Just some guy named yeah, Gus. I think so. What, what think you need, Jay? Problem. What you need? <laughs> well, Gus, navigate. Yeah, in English. Yeah. It'll only understand 10 questions, mm-hmm. right? That's what we need. Grammar's irrelevant. Yeah, absolutely. Love I it. am ready for Gus. I like it. We should go in together. We well, you're the app Gus. maker. I'll just bring the ideas. Well, you make it happen. You know, I would, but I'm kind of tired. Are you, so. You're worn out. Trying to work with your Siri, <laughs> she exhausts. Yeah, you. exactly. So, so, so one this... of the other problems with with uh, Windows Eight is that in order to use it in tablet mode, they would have one app for mail, and then you would put it in desktop mode, and it's a completely separate app, and yeah. confuse people. And so now they're rolling out universal apps, hmm. and those those apps will run across PC, tablet and phones, and even the Xbox One, and uh, they're getting a lot of good reviews. So universal apps, not separate apps based upon what you're doing. Well, that's smart. So that's cool. Yeah. Yeah, they're getting there. I mean, and I think that everybody who has Windows 8 is definitely going to want to download Windows 10, and it is free if you have Windows 8 or Windows 7. Hmm. Uh, I wouldn't recommend doing it today, though. Yeah. I'd give it a couple of months. Let them... Because what they're saying is a lot of people are downloading it, and then their current app that their favorite software that they use all the time, they're not ready yet for Windows 10, right. and so they're getting all kinds of bugs. So I would wait and uh, and see, you know, hey, what people are doing. Answer me this. Um, okay, so you heard about Donald Trump throwing Lindsey Graham under the bus by putting his fo- his phone number out there. Yeah. So Lindsey had to go get a brand new phone. So so just in a nutshell without brand you know we're not going to choose a brand but what is the overall difference between an Android phone I mean I know but I want I want to know what a tech guru thinks and 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 just uh and an iPhone you just you just think I can break that down in like 30 seconds yeah is that what you're give me like cuz I always hear the iPhones are safer they're less likely to be whatever hacked and we always hear about all of these hacking problems with Android phones. Yeah. T- 
talk to us. Because I really want to help Lindsey Graham figure out what he should buy. But apparently he already got an iPhone. <laughs> yeah, he did get an iPhone. All right. You remember the battle between uh, Mac computers yeah. and PC computers? Yeah, yeah. It, it's the exact same thing, only only in a phone. And this time it's between Apple and Android. So you have two platforms. Apple's platform is completely closed, highly restrictive, so that Apple doesn't let you mess with their operating system, and that severely limits the app developer and Mm. what they can do with your phone. But it also protects you. Uh, So on the security side, that's Apple. On, On the Google side, they're an open platform. They let you mess with their operating system. They're not nearly as restrictive when it comes to app submissions. And in fact, they're reactive. So if you can put an app up in the app store, they have some software that analyzes it. But ultimately, if I have some malware or something in there, I'm only going to find out about that later yeah. uh, because they're, they're more trusting. And so that opens it up to malware. So the, the, the pluses and the negatives of the two Android will give you every option in the book that you could ever imagine and every ability to customize and to tweak. That freaks a lot of people out Mm -hmm. who who aren't technically savvy, who don't want to mess with it, who just want simplicity and ease of use. So that's Android. And if you really like to customize and tweak, you go Android. But then on the iPhone side, very simple to use, and iPhone, they they don't want to be the service that provides every single option. They kind of believe we're not going to roll out an option until we believe we have it perfect. So the iPhone has never had all the features that an Android phone uh, has and may, may never because that's simply not how they operate. They want to do it right in their opinion. Right. In my opinion, they've made some huge mistakes with Apple Map and with Siri and now with Apple Music. Uh, they're flawed system, in my opinion. But that's kind of the two philosophies. Yeah. So, so one, total customization. Also, on the Android side, because there's multiple manufacturers, you can get the full spectrum. Your Android phone may not be even close to as good as an iPhone because you only paid $80 for it. Yeah, right. 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 But then you can go and get a Samsung Galaxy Edge that is highly uh, – it competes very well with the iPhone, but you paid $700 for it. Wow. So you get that full affordability spectrum on the Android side. You don't get it on the iPhone side. Well, so right? for Lindsey Graham, going from a flip phone and never having written an email or sent an email, yeah. the iPhone's yeah. a good choice. Absolutely. And, for example, with my wife, she never wanted a smartphone. I had a smartphone before the iPhone came out. That did almost everything the iPhone does right now, but it was uh, an operating system called Windows CE. It was complicated, hard to use. She didn't want anything to do with that. When she saw the iPhone and how easy it was with the icons and the, you know, the yeah. swiping and the pinching to zoom in and out, she said, I can do that. So she had an iPhone before I did. My mom, uh, who's 75, has an iPhone and absolutely loves it because of that intuitive Easy to use simplicity. They would. They will never own Android devices. Never. Nor should they. Yeah. Because it will. It will just confuse their. You know. That's. So I hope that helps. No, that was great. That was great. And I think I'm. We'll send this to Lindsay. And you know, he, he already made the choice. <laughs> <laughs> now I don't know which one will perform better in a blender. And the funny thing to me is, I don't know if he changed his phone number. 
because putting your phone in a blender <laughs> doesn't get rid of the phone number. You know, it's funny is I'm not sure he knows that. Yeah. So <laughs> he's going he's gonna to have a brand new phone and about 5,000 calls. That's well, and then funny. You also have Tom Brady, who it was revealed yesterday yep. at Deflategate. He was supposed to turn in his phone so they could see the text messages. He ordered his assistant to destroy the phone. Get rid of that phone. And, and that did effectively get rid of the messages because it's not a legal case, so they can't subpoena those messages from whoever his provider is. Now, if, if he takes it to court, they can, right? If he goes to court, yeah, then they could ask to yeah. subpoena the messages. Yeah, that's right. But right now, this is yeah. all you know arbitration right. within the company. Roger Goodell, last time I checked, doesn't have the authority <laughs> to issue subpoenas or warrants. So, no. but you know what? He might have a friend in the NSA. Well, that's also true. Uh, Tom Brady probably has a lot of fans in the NSA, too. He totally so. does. This is where it's <laughs> going to get really exciting. Hey, Jay, Absolutely. hang on, my friend. we got to take a break. Uh, we're talking again with Jay McFarland from jmcfarland.com. He's our tech guru in the What the Tech section of the show. We'll be right back asking more questions about technology for our good friend. We'll be right back. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Jay McFarland is joining us from jmcfarland.com. He's a, an app builder. He's also the host of the Browsers radio program, where he and Amy Iverson is co-host all day, all day long. They're searching the web, and uh, then they get on the air, and they talk all things tech. So we're trying to just squeeze everything we can out of Jay. Jay, welcome back, my friend. Thank you, sir. Just hey, sitting here browsing during the break. Are you just you're just a perma browser? Yeah, that's right. Hey, did you see that picture of the uh, security person or the in the Pope mobile that took the the selfie? Yes. Isn't that funny? He's yeah. he's driving the Pope and he's overly involved in taking a selfie. Ten- we have documented how dangerous the selfie is. There are people taking selfies all in the wrong places, on cliffs, in front oh. of wild animals. It's and, crazy. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And then this uh, survey that was released yesterday that absolutely blew my mind. And I, I have to tell you, I've not been a fan of banning uh, mobile devices in cars because I, I believe that the problem is distraction. And if we focus on a single device instead of the problem of distraction, we're almost empowering the other distraction. Yeah, right. But, yeah. But I'm I'm slowly changing my opinion as I hear stories like this. This was a survey uh, that re- revealed that 10% of drugs... Oh, we're losing you, Are Jay. You Jay, I'm you losing you. Down? Yeah, I think oh. you went in your bathroom or something. Can you, can you hear me now? Uh, a little better. Hello? There you go. Can you hear me? Yeah, that's great. All right. So this survey... Oh, we lost 10%. you. Hello? Are you, um, are you wearing one of those tinfoil hat things that you wear when you go home? I was I was I still can't hear you. You come in and out. It's 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 almost like you're you know, you're playing a video game. Oh, can you hear me? I can hear you a little better. Go ahead. Alright. Hear me now. No, you're still bad. Jay. This is such great radio. You're you're the tech guru. 
you know what you got to do? Radio. Go out, stand on your deck, and raise your arms above your head. I've now walked out the Can you hear me now? Uh, that's better. All right. There you go. So you're good? You got me? Now, you're back. Did you take the okay. hat off? No, I'm I'm in the front yard now, <laughs> waving the phone in the air. That's perfect. In my pajamas. Yeah, this will be great. Yeah. Yeah, now you're perfect. All right, so, okay, so here's the deal. 10% of, of people responding to this survey admitted taking a selfie while driving. Oh, so triple that. Right? Yeah, uh, yeah, exactly, because uh, we know that not everybody is telling the truth. Right. And I, I just... I, I can almost understand the text message. You know, somebody sends you a text yeah. and you feel like you need to text right back. I can I can understand I feel absolutely idiotic to do that while driving. Yeah. But at least I understand the purpose behind that. When you talk about taking a selfie behind the wheels mm. so that you can post it on Instagram or so, I don't I don't even come close to comprehending this and it makes me feel like Maybe we just can't handle it, and maybe we just need to ban phones from cars. And that I would never thought I heard I would hear myself say something like that. No, you know what? It's so outrageous. That's true, though. You know what's going to happen is somebody's going to take a selfie. They're then going to be involved in an accident, and we will get the picture of their face right before oh, they got hit. And then that absolutely. will make that will change everybody. Absolutely. Well, will it? I mean, we hear that's we true. The ads all the time. I know about, that's true. Here's the last text she sent. Uh, the accident. I know that right? makes. And it's a it's a selfie. I mean, seriously. I, <laughs> what is it that you have? What what compulsion is that, Matt? You understand the mind better than I. Well, am. not really. But I mean, okay. <laughs> let's get real, though. If you've got the pontiff in the back of your car, yeah, and you still can't focus on driving, <laughs> then the world does not deserve cell phones. Yeah, I, I'll tell you this. I might be tempted to take a selfie if the pontiff is in my backseat. <laughs> it's true. But at no other time. I know. I, it, I, again, I don't understand the whole selfie phenomenon in the first place. I know. And people have died taking selfies. Well, like, yeah, I like think, you're saying, like they're leaning out with like a mountain lion right there. Look at, look at me. Look how close I got to the mountain lion, you guys. Famous last <laughs> shots. <laughs> it, it really makes no sense at all. And it just. Did it, it it killed you, that you, you? Oh, I lost you. Go ahead, you Jay. Punish, can you hear me? Yeah, yeah, I can hear oh. you. Yeah, I've always been a firm believer that you punish those who abuse freedom. You don't just ban the things, yeah. right? You put up good deterrence. But in this case, my goodness. <laughs> and here's the other surprising thing from the survey. The majority of the people who admitted taking the selfie were men. Oh, really? Which I don't – yeah, total shock. Do men take selfies? I don't know. I've never seen a selfie of a man driving a car. Yeah, I that's see, weird. I see, I see these selfie shots. I, uh, there's a couple of Facebook posts where there's always a couple of female friends of mine, and they put up a selfie of them in the driver's seat yeah. from the same angle of the, uh, of the rearview mirror. <laughs> and I think, oh, they just looked up, they looked in that mirror, and they thought, hey, I ought to take a picture of this because I look great. And so they take it. But I always thought the car was standing still. And now yeah. it seems like men no. are doing this. I, you I know what, Jay? Let me give you the answer. In the last, I have we have a minute, but here's the final answer of that. Though okay. um, the neat thing is, in about ten thousand years, evolution will have <laughs> sorted these people out because they'll all be dead. Yeah. They'll all be roadkill. Well, <laughs> That's it. Well, but you also think about what we'll look like because That's of our true. devices. That's you true. Know, we'll have huge duck lips because. 
Exactly. Tiny little thumbs so we can tag. <laughs> we'll all, we'll our, all be hunched over. Yeah, our arms will have turned into like some telescopic <laughs> pole so that we can get a better right. angle. For, we'll have self, selfie <laughs> arms, and we'll have a new set of eyes right in the top of our head oh, so that we can still text while walking. Yeah. Sounds perfect. <laughs> can you imagine? Wait. Wish it was here now. Your great, 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 great grandchildren are freak shows. That'll be great. Well, Jay, we appreciate you, my friend. You're the best. And everybody, go check out the website, jmcfarland.com. He really knows uh, knows what he's talking about. But he also, I mean, he used to be big into politics. He had a big show down in uh, Dallas for years. And uh, he just, he's in the know. I mean, when you sit and you browse all day, you're Jay, man. Good stuff. Let's take a break. Come back. We'll go visit our friends at uh, BYU Sports Nation, find out if they're going to be doing their show. We always joke about that. They're always doing their show. Top of the hour, noon uh, Eastern time, will be uh, the great BYU Sports Nation. We're going to find out what's coming up on their show. Stick with us, folks. We're going to also find out how they feel about Lipstick Day. You know, interesting stuff. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Stick with us, my friends. The Matt Townsend Show. You know, lipstick on your collar. It's going to tell the truth about you. Let's shoot it down to our good friends at BYU Sports Nation. Hello, Spencer and Jerem. more than enough for everybody. Are you there, gentlemen? Oh, I know you're trying. I can. I know you're loving this song. Because no, nobody is more worried about lipstick on their collar than you two. We're trying to get you pulled up here. One of the things that uh, you're probably wondering is why on earth we are doing a song about lipstick on your collar. One very basic reason. The reason? Today's Lipstick Day. Are you there, Spencer and Jerem? As I travel throughout the church. We're losing you. Anyway, we'll try to figure that out, see if we can get you back. But uh, it is Lipstick Day, my friends. Happy Lipstick Day to you. I would have loved to have heard what Spencer and Jerem would say about this great day. By the way, in 1650, English Parliament attempted to ban the wearing of lipstick, or as they called it. Are you there, guys? Can you hear us now? Now I can. Did you you hear it? I can hear you now. Okay, fantastic. Hey, uh, it's Lipstick Day. Yeah, we heard all of that. We were trying. We were screaming I into know. the microphone. I, heard, I didn't hear you screaming. It's Imagine almost that. like Jerem yelling into the microphone down here. Yeah, was, was he singing falsetto? In. No, I was yelling into the microphone. <laughs> national yeah. lipstick Very monotone. day. It's National Lipstick Day. I thought you were going to go with Chicken Wing Day. It's National Chicken Wing Day. Oh, I, I don't know or what it Chicken Strip Day. I don't I know what remember. calendar you're looking at. Yeah, I don't know, I know either. <laughs> I don't know. Jerem's what it is. in rare form. Jerem seems down today. <laughs> well, listen, he wanted to go to the Imagine Dragons concert last night. And it didn't happen. Oh, that would have been great. Sore spot. Let's not talk about 
<laughs> Imagine Dragons, man. They've got some great stuff. No, seriously, though, Jer- legit. They Jer- shot a music video in this building. Jerem is like the concert guy. Like he, is he? He goes to more concerts than anybody I know. Well, well so I, maybe Michael Mar- Miner. Maybe our boss, Michael Miner. Our senior Miner. coordinating producer, Michael Miner, is the man. Well, I concerts. saw your tour shirt from Miley Cyrus. Okay. I yeah, that's, where, like a... <laughs> that's where Jerem draws the line. He did. He does what you do want to go BYU. to Taylor Swift, though, right? You want yeah. to go to Taylor Swift? Oh, Absolutely. Yeah. BYU hopes to uh, come in like a wrecking ball to September. Oh, yeah. They nice. hope to Miley Cyrus that's good. Great nice. segue. BYU hopes to leave bad blood with every opponent they play. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What other? What other? <laughs> Listen, uh, the B- heart. BYU's the heart got wants, a fight song. BYU wants to get in the Big Twelve. The heart wants what it wants. BYU Jerem. has cheerleaders. <laughs> BYU has lips. BYU oh, has lips. The Bring it back. back. There's Good the host. tie back. Good host. Transitions. See, that's why, uh, you know, I have a show named after me. <laughs> I make segues like that. That's- that's pretty good job security. It really is. When you get the show after you, yeah. And then if you're not on, then but the you show know what a change, right? you know what an idiot you'd look like if they're like, yeah, we're going to let you go, but uh, we want to keep your show. <laughs> we're going to call it the Matt Townsend <laughs> the Matt show. Townsend show with we're going to let you go. Somebody else. We have another uh, host we really want to uh, show. Hey, guess what, guys? Um, because it was saying that lipstick on your collar, it 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 basically it'll convict you, you know, of having done something inappropriate. Did you hear the story about um, butt dialers? No. Do you guys know what a butt dial is? Yeah. Very well. So you put your phone in your pocket and it just some for some reason your phone just independently goes and calls somebody uh or accidentally. Um the butt dialers apparently you're not covered if you if you have a butt dialed call and you are talking you should have no belief of or expectation of privacy according to the courts. From now on Anything that anybody overhears, if you've butt dialed them, they're free to hear. Hmm. Well, so be careful. I don't disagree with that logic. Yeah. yeah. I mean, if you're call- if you need to either train your posterior to make only appropriate calls when you're aware of it. How about you just lock your smartphone? Because most people have smartphones. Just oh, lock okay. It. Who yeah, doesn't have a sm- quote unquote smartphone? You know what I mean? Well, most a lot of do, right? well, you know, Lindsey Graham didn't. Well, and Lindsey Graham, he's a politician that Donald Trump threw under the bus nice. and gave <laughs> his phone number. Yeah, what politician has, has yeah. Donald Trump not well, thrown under the bus? By the way, my board op here, Ben, he has a he has a dumb phone. You have a dumb Ben has a dumb phone. Yeah, yeah. We don't. Nice. He doesn't like it to be called dumb. Yeah, yes, yeah, that's yeah. It's insensitive. Yeah, it's insensitive. Mm-hmm. But yeah. uh, he's not alone. Andrew Luck, the quarterback of the Indianapolis Colts, also has one of those. Does phones. he really? Yes. You know what? I heard that. Um, I heard Tom Brady lost his phone recently. <laughs> Hashtag hammers. <laughs> he gave it to Gronk, and it was Gronk spiked. Yeah, exactly. Gronk spike. <laughs> Get rid of ten thousand text <laughs> messages. Speaking of legislation, <laughs> by the way, and like with public stuff, so. When you did a shoot in public mm-hmm. with video, yeah. recorded something, you used to have to have everyone sign a waiver right. and or put up a sign or whatever, right? You could you still have to put up a sign, but a, a court ruled that if there's a camera around, you need to understand that you could be recorded on that camera in public, right? Wow, yeah, like in so out. It's probably way more specific than that. Yeah. But so we shot a commercial last week at the Creamery, and we put up signs, but we didn't have to have everyone sign a. Interesting. Form. It's just different, and that's a, a lot of people in this building deal with that. Yeah. Hey, you if you guys you have to ever soccer, something. wow, weird. Um, soccer apparently. If you guys, <laughs> if you. <laughs> I don't know where that came from. Is that like Why not? our board has Tourette's every once in a while? I didn't know if that was in me or if that was like like did, did that just happen in my brain? Soccer. Like say soccer. Soccer. 
We want um, to talk about <laughs> what, what other sports do we have, Don Rigby? <laughs> Foosball. <laughs> yep. Hey, um, I don't remember what I was saying. Oh, hey, either. next time you guys are shooting a commercial, I'm free. I'm free after ten. If you Crickets. need, uh, I like. If you need, ta- <laughs> if you need talent, <laughs> crickets. And if you guys, I'm just saying, if you need talent, I'm free. You're way too big to do. You, we can't we, afford you. No, we can't. We afford can't you. afford a can't guy afford who has you. a show named after him. That's a great point. That is a. I was going to do it for free, but now that you bring up the money issue, that's yeah. a great point. I would do it for free for you guys. Look, we that's we really can't nice. afford five figure day rates. Okay. <laughs> five figures with a decimal. <laughs> Uh, two points in, I guess. Yeah. Plus, your, plus your uh, craft services needs are just overwhelming. Oh, huge! Yeah, huge. Pizza. Give me the gluten free this, mm-hmm. vegan this. <laughs> yeah. You know, like tofu okay, this. We can do our best. Tofu. You know, it's just whatever. it's just hard to find. Well, whatever. You guys are shooting commercials. Nuts. Guess when we shot my last commercial? When? Nineteen forty-eight. Nice. Lies. Seriously. Lies. You have a. I've seen. Were you a I've child seen star? you in several commercials. Yeah, I was. I I'm, I mean yeah, but I think that was like two years ago. I don't know what it is. They were they were commercials on television for radio. Half of half of our cool. shoot, they kept saying, "Can you just suck it in a little more, Mister oh. Townsend?" <laughs> you have a face for radio. <laughs> <laughs> you guys are great. I love that one. Hey, uh, you, are you still doing your show thingy today? That we are. Any anything exciting on it? Always every every day every, every day. day. We have the ultimate BYU football edition of Would You Rather. Oh, I love that game. Would you rather BYU football in the year 2015 play in a New Year's Six bowl game mm-hmm. or Taysom Hill, the senior quarterback, win the Heisman Trophy? Oh, it's so juicy. Bowl game. Really? That easy? We've already done the, t- we've already done the, the uh, Heisman Trophy winner quarterback. That was twenty. And wasn't it amazing? It was fantastic. Except, wouldn't it be more fun? We still talk about that all of the time. In fact, he's the last group of five player to win the Heisman. That's true. Maybe I was too jumpy. Soccer. What? What lasts longer? What lasts? What means more? Yeah. So we're we're going to answer that question. I have a distinct, strong opinion. This is going to be a battle. Yeah. And then this morning I thought, no, no, no. There's one that matters more than the other. Cool. So you're going to fight it out. That's good. Mm -hmm. Anything else you're going to talk about? No. Okay. Wow. It's going to be a quick show. (laughs) It's going to be a great show. Yeah, we got a gold medal winner on the show. You you cut to the core of me. Who's Who's your gold medal winner? Heather Olmstead just won a gold medal. Coaching USA Volleyball and Pan Am Games. How cool. Yeah, you thought it was in the Olympics, huh? Yeah, when but still. She was the head coach or one of the coaches? One of the assistant coaches Big time. for Team USA. Now, obviously, the head coach of BYU Women's Volleyball coming off a trip to the national championship match. Mm. So she'll be on the show. Corey Calvert, BYU basketball, former Colorado 5A Player of the Year, also in studio. Cool. It's a great show. Yeah, it's, it's it's opinion, and there is going to be a ton of it. I know. You guys are great at that. And then let me just give you a secret, a broadcasting secret. In the middle, if there's a lull, just yell out, soccer! Soccer! <laughs> or any sport. <laughs> that always raises the energy level. It Thanks totally for does. that pro tip. That's we it. appreciate that. And if you also need to, always throw in a lipstick fact. Because it's lipstick day. Okay. We'll keep that in mind. Have a great show, gentlemen. Thank you. You Thanks, guys Doc. are the best. Keep it up.
Good stuff. Hey, let's go to our hero of the day. We always like to end with a hero. Check this out. Uh, Alabama's letter carrier, Sissy Cartwright, was making her normal rounds one morning when she noticed one elderly man's mail beginning to pile up. Feeling moved to check on the situation, Cartwright went up to the front door. She knocked, and she was greeted by the homeowner's uh, Tommy, Tommy Hope's voice. Cartwright found that Hope had badly fallen, broken several bones, and had been stranded there for over 10 days. Unable to stand up for the phone, Hope had survived off of rainwater out of a bucket near his front door. Cartwright immediately called for help, and Hope was rescued by medical workers. He's now being treated for dehydration, and his broken bones are mending. Cartwright has visited him several times. She does not consider herself a hero, but Tommy Hope thinks otherwise. Letter carriers who have heard this story are thinking that if it saved one person's life, it can save a whole lot more if we all were dedicated to watching and looking out for the elderly and for anything unusual that might be happening. So a shout-out to all of our letter carriers. They get a bad reputation sometimes, but with great people like Sissy Cartwright, you know what? We owe them a debt of gratitude. Thanks, guys. Uh, Really great example. Well, we're out of here. That's the show, my friends. We'll be back tomorrow. tomorrow. More ideas, more tools to help you find the good in the world. Until tomorrow, take care of each other, look out for each other, and make it a great one.